Welcome back to the Arizona Wildlife Federation podcast. My name is Michael and I am your host. And I am uh, I'm coming at you fresh from the Wild and Native Trout Conference held at the Arizona Game and Fish Department headquarters. And let me tell you what an event. Packed, absolutely packed with information and the science behind managing these these amazing fish we have in the state and our cold water fisheries. This was the first in-person event since COVID, so it was awesome to get out there and uh, put some put some faces with some names and shake some hands. Uh, met some old friends, made some new friends. Um, you know, I, I I was allowed the opportunity to speak on advocacy along with a group of absolutely amazing biologists and wildlife managers from our state. If you have not been to one of these you know they are open to the public so please don't don't miss this opportunity next year i promise you'll thank me afterwards a lot of great information all right so today's show uh is springtime um turkey hunts are some already happening uh, birds are gobbling uh down south they haven't started up here where i am but i've got a turkey tag in my pocket and uh man i just uh, i don't know i get excited i get excited in the springtime especially the springtime it's been a long winter up here with a lot of snow I am ready to get back in the woods. And uh, so to that note, I, uh, I sat down and recorded this episode with two, two fantastic turkey hunters from the National Wild Turkey Federation, Roy and Jess, and you'll, you'll meet them in more detail here in just a few minutes. And this show, fair warning, it runs a little long, but you know, hell, how, how can it not? You got three guys that are super excited about turkey hunting. You know, how can it not run long? But it, there is a, a ton of information in here. We're gonna we're gonna teach you everything you need to know to get out there and uh, and fill your tag with a nice gobbler this spring. So please listen in. Um, it's a fun one. But I'm gonna hurry along here because uh, you know there's a lot going on in Arizona with our great conservation organizations, um, and I got a lot of announcements here for you. So let's get going with that. Uh, all right. First off, from Arizona Game and Fish Department's Fish AZ Network. Uh, this Saturday, April 15th, or I should probably say, yeah, yeah, this Saturday, April 15th, um, they are having, uh, their, their meeting and this is very similar to the, the R3, um, outdoor skills network meeting. Uh, this is not necessarily for individual anglers. This is for angling groups, groups that are out there doing the good work of educating folks, uh, working on conservation in our fisheries and bringing new people, you know, in, into the circle, you know, so we have a larger army of folks that, that, you know, care about this stuff. And, um, so if you're part of a group and they're not involved in this, you need to make sure they are, because let me tell you, they do it right. Uh, let's see, uh, their gathering is April 15th and let's see. They would like you to register just so they know how many folks they have for food. And let's get on. There's here's 10 reasons listed why why you need to be at this meeting. Uh, let's see. Hot full country breakfast, 8 to 9 a.m. Biscuits, gravy, omelets, and lots of sides. And I have I've been privy to that breakfast myself, and it is a good one. Meet the commissioner, uh, the commission chairman, Jim Guggenauer. Jim is a fantastic guy and a great commissioner. Uh, meet the new Arizona Game and Fish Department, R3 coordinator, Chase Newland. I've had the pleasure of meeting Chase a few times now, and he is a fishy dude. Perfect for this position. Network with other fishing groups, organizations, and enthusiasts. Complete overview of Arizona's Fish AZ recruitment, retention, and reactivation partnership effort. 
hot lunch of, wouldn't you know it, fish tacos. There's reason enough alone to get there. Tell us what you think. Partner engagement, input and guidance. Demonstration training using the Kolkomi registration system for Fish AZ events. Report on data and activity of Fish AZ since the relaunch in 2021. And a fishing activity of Biscuit Tank from 3 to 4. Sounds like a fun meeting. I would absolutely be there, but I have a daddy-daughter dance, and I can't miss that. But, um, yeah, I, I, I've, I've been to these meetings, and, and I promise you, they're, they're high energy and a lot of information worth your time. Okay, then we've got, uh, from the Arizona Game and Fish Department again, uh, their Spring Gold Turkey Surveys, April 14th through the 16th. The wildlife manager for Unit 35A and 35B wants to invite you to participate in this year's survey. The survey falls just before the spring hunt and will give everyone an opportunity to get to know the area, learn where turkeys are located, and chat with turkey hunters and local turkey enthusiasts. This year's Gold's Turkey Survey. Uh, let's see, I'm repeating dates again here, April 14th to the 16th. As in past years, a camp will be set up in the Huachuca Mountains in 35A. East of Highway 83 at milepost 5.9. Camp will be set up on the afternoon of April 14th in anticipation for surveys early Saturday morning. Huachuca, Huachuca, <laughs> the Huachuca Golds chapter of the National Wild Turkey Federation will provide delicious meals to all attendees Saturday morning through Sunday morning. Saturday night's big dinner will feature some fun raffle items, cash only. To benefit the National Wild Turkey Federation chapter, additionally, on Saturday afternoon, there will be a turkey calling and hunting seminar. All right. I will have your contact information to get involved with these, these surveys uh, in the show notes. So, yeah, don't miss that. It sounds like a great opportunity to get some hands-on experience with wild turkeys, turkey habitat, and uh, and learning from some of, the, some of the best turkey guys out there. All right. Then from Southern Arizona Quail Forever... They have an Earth Day work project. These guys are always out there, boots on the ground, doing habitat work. So this is your opportunity to get out there and give them a hand. Let's see, Friday, April 21st and Saturday, April 22nd, 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. Help is needed either or both days. Even an hour of work would be appreciated. The work site is Prime Merns Habitat. The elevation is 5,400 feet, so it will be cooler than our urban areas. Highs are typically in the 70s. Okay. So I will have contact information that will give you the location, but I'm going to go ahead and say it's Highway 92, south of Sierra Vista. Um, amazing views. Da, da, da. Let's see. The work's going to involve building rock dams. It's not as hard as it sounds. It's a bit of a drive from the Tucson area, but you will see some beautiful scenery and improved wildlife habitat. And I will have Zach uh, May and Jim Littlejohn's information in the show notes uh, for you to contact. But uh, make sure if you go to bring plenty of water, closed-toed shoes, long pants, sun protection, including wide brim hat, long sleeve shirts and sunscreen, work gloves, snacks, and a packed lunch. Okay, Arizona Predator Callers, April 13th at 7 p.m. They are having the regular meeting, and the topic's going to be hunting coyotes uh, with Geoff Nemich, I think. Um, videos on hunting mating season coyotes in the snow. All right. So if you are interested in hunting coyotes, this is a great opportunity for you. This is going to be at lodge number or FOP lodge number nine, 1452 East main street in Mesa, Arizona on April 22nd. Let's see the Arizona predator callers in coordination with the Arizona game and fish department are doing a Griffin ranch cleanup. 
Griffin Ranch is located north of Globe from Phoenix Drive East to US 60 to Haystack Butte Road, which is approximately 16.5 miles north of the US 60 US 70 junction. Drive approximately 2.5 miles to Haystack Butte Road to the meetup spot on the west side. And there are some GPS coordinates here um, that I can have in the show notes. Start time is 9 a.m. It'll end around noon and lunch will be served. I will have contact for you there. All right, Wachuca Gold's chapter of the National Wild Turkey Federation, an introductory event. Let's see, June 17th. That's out a little bit, but let's go ahead and do this one. Description, Jake's Juniors Acquiring Jake's. Oh, I like it. Juniors Acquiring Knowledge, Ethics, and Sportsmanship. Jake's, I like it. I get it. All right, this event is free for children ages 18 to 17 and parents. Registration is limited to the first 50 children and pre-registration is required. Various instructional stations of outdoor activities will be offered. Location is Soldier Creek Park in Sierra Vista, Arizona, hosted by the Huachuca Golds Chapter of the National Wild Turkey Federation. I will have the registration information for you in the notes. Okay. Then we've got... All right, uh, we talked about this one quickly before, but we're going to do it again because you still got time. The annual Marvin Robbins Youth Turkey Camp is almost here. April 20th to the 23rd, uh, 2023. Learn to hunt Arizona's wild turkeys in this mentored turkey hunting camp. Seminars, outdoor skills, activities, camping, and meals provided. I believe that there are non-permit over-the-counter tags for this in Unit 23, 4A and 4B. Definitely dig in, do your research, figure that one out. But I'll tell you what, what a great opportunity. Number one, if you're new to turkey hunter, hunting, listen to this podcast. Number two, get involved with a hunt like this. You will come out at the other end of this spring, a very knowledgeable turkey hunter. All right, that's going to be at uh, Cole Cordridge Campground, east of Payson. Payson, serving units 23, 4A, 4B, and 3C. And then last but not least, from one of my favorite groups, the Arizona Trail Association. They are hiring an administrative director. This is a great organization. Um, I, me having a background in long distance hiking, I, I have a soft spot for, for long trails and those people that work to build them and protect them. So talk about a great nonprofit to work for. If you're interested in getting into the conservation space, uh, this would be a great position to look into. And yeah, I'll have a contact for you down below. With all that, I'm sorry I'm taking so much of your time. Uh, this is a long podcast, but it is a good one. So please settle in and listen to Roy, listen to Jess, teach you how to be a better turkey hunter. See you after the show. All right, here we go. All right, uh, we, we're here today. We are here today because it is springtime in Arizona, and springtime in Arizona is synonymous with spring turkey season. And uh, I'm going to be straight up honest. I've not killed a turkey in Arizona. Um, I'm, a, I'm not a good turkey hunter, man. I uh, back, back home, back in the Ozarks, I've killed quite a few birds, but I've not been able to bring it together here. I've had, to be fair, I've had one shotgun tag, um, and I just, well... I'll start with, I was hunting over-the-counter archery um, because I wanted to save points for a gold, gold tag, and uh, I could not bring it together. It seemed like, you know, any gobblers I, I could get, you know, get to communicating with were always hand up, 
And it was just, it was a real struggle during the archery season. So then finally I burnt my points on a shotgun tag and I, I just blotched so many opportunities. I passed on a Jake right off the bat, uh, early in the season. Then I missed a big gobbler. Then what else happened? It seemed like just a series of <laughs> screw ups. Um, I had one coming in just last year, hot and heavy. And I just, I find turkeys so unsettling that I, I start fidgeting and looking over my shoulders and I know damn well not to do it, but my gosh, they get you so excited, you know, and you can hear them coming and they're close and you just got to see them, you know, and uh, I'd screw that up. And then finally the last day of, of last year, I was with my daughter and it was the end of the season and we were hunting, it was dry. So we were hunting a tank and uh, I'm sitting with her and she was probably six at the time. And she's like, daddy, what, what is that? <laughs> I look up, I'm like, oh, hot damn, that's a turkey. And uh, but I'm like, oh, baby, it's a hen. I can't shoot it. And this turkey was there for three minutes drinking. And uh, the whole time I thought it was a hen. And then it lifts up and it sticks that little beard out. It was a Jake. And I'd have happily taken that Jake. And uh, by the, it stuck that beard out. And I was like, oh, God, I screwed up. And it just bounces over the 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 dam on that tank and was gone forever just like that so that was last year so anyway i'm a terrible turkey hunter here in arizona and uh, that's why you guys are here so you're not only educating our listeners today you're educating me as well so with that fellas i'd like you to introduce yourself let's start with you jess yeah um so my name is jesse warner uh i'm a lifelong turkey hunter um also like like you mike i'm from the east coast from the east uh eastern state from the state of new york um grew up i cut my teeth on hunting easterns came to arizona six going to be six years ago um gotten lucky on a couple of miriams uh but uh yeah other than that i'm i'm an employee of the national wild turkey federation i'm an r3 coordinator uh in a shared position here with game and fish um r3 being recruitment retention and reactivation yep. of hunters um so i help oversee the outdoor skills network including uh the nwtf youth camps awesome. coming up yeah and this is your second time on the podcast too yeah way way yes. back in the beginning i think maybe like the second episode or something close to that third Something like that, yeah. yeah. Welcome back, Jesse. All right, Roy, how about you? Well, my name is Roy Crane. I am the state chapter president of the National Wild Turkey Federation, which a plug for the uh, NWTF. We are celebrating our 50th anniversary this year. Congratulations, man. Uh, we've done a lot of great stuff. Uh, I'm I'm proud to have uh, been elected to, to the job, but I'm really proud of the group that we've got. They're, they're all passionate turkey hunters. And uh, uh, the whole truth in advertising, mm -hmm. uh, I have yet to shoot an Arizona bird. Oh, boy. I'm still saving points. I've yeah. helped a lot of people harvest birds in yeah. Arizona, but I have yet to shoot one. And I do have uh, my slams. I've got the Royal and the Grand. Do you really? Me. Yeah. That's exciting. Uh, so I've, I've, I've hunted. I've been lucky enough to hunt turkeys over a lot of country. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's... You, you were telling your story, and basically what I hear is that's a turkey hunting story because <laughs> that has happened to all of us. Yeah. I, 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 have, I have gone home with tag soup more times than I want to think about. Man. And I, I, it, it, it was almost hearing my story when you would talk about listening and getting so wrapped up with the birds. <laughs> I have missed shots because I get so wrapped up in talking to them and watching them and just I don't. I don't get buck fever. I get turkey fever. Hey, it you, just I, I go. I go crazy, and I would rather watch them than I would shoot. 
You ever yeah. notice that amongst turkey hunters, we seem to always talk about the birds that got away way more than the actual birds we've shot? <laughs> oh, that's an interesting point. I hadn't thought yeah, of that. Yeah, that's true. I tell you, you, you know, you put a bear or an elk in front of me, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm rock steady. Yeah. But you get a turkey goblin at me, and I am just, I come, I go to pieces. Oh, I, yeah. I go unglued. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. I, well, I do not get the shakes in, on anything except turkeys. Yeah. And I've. I, I I just shake like a ninety year There's old man. Something about that gobble, and it's so just when when they get close to you and they're they're going off like that. Mm-hmm. Yep. I, unsettling is the only only you know way I can describe it. <laughs> uh, it is something else though, and then you know that's why it's so exciting. That's why it's so much fun. But it's embarrassing when you think that a bird with a brain the size of a walnut, yeah, continually makes grown men look sure. like well, fools. the walnut was some pretty amazing eyesight. Yeah, and yeah. hearing that is, yeah, second uh, to none. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, they've. I mean, a bird that can hear you gobble or do a hen hen call from a mile and a half yeah. away on a windy day. Uh, they're they're, but not only can <laughs> they hear you, but they'll, like they'll show up exactly where you were standing. Yeah. When you made that call. Yeah, I've heard about that. Yeah, you can, like, leave, uh, and then that, that turkey ends up walking around looking for you, you know, mm-hmm. around the tree you were set at an hour later. But yep. And it's, it's hard to have that kind of patience to sit out there all day when you're not getting any action. It is. It, it's hard to do that, and it's hard to have the patience not to call. You're sitting there thinking. Oh, I know. Okay, I, I, I haven't called. I haven't heard anything for, you know, what seems like half an hour, and you look and your watch has been five, five minutes. Five minutes, yep. You yep. know, and so you're sitting there thinking, should I call? Should I call? Yeah. Should I it, it is really hard to just sit All on right. your hands, leave those calls alone, give them 10, 15 minutes. And then you can oh, you can actually spook a bird by calling too much. Oh, sure. You're better off just a, a few little light mm-hmm. yelps or a cluck, yeah. uh, maybe a purr to show that the birds are contented. You don't have to do it continually, just a few light ones and yeah. just let it alone. Yeah. Boy, that's hard to do. I think that's one of those things that comes with, with experience. No. No? <laughs> I still screwed up. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, we're already getting into tactics. Let's um let's start maybe with just a little natural history of turkeys and, and you know, since I'm sitting here with the Wild Turkey Federation, let's talk about a little bit of the history of, of wild turkeys in, in our country and our state. Well, the the National Wild Turkey Federation was founded in seventy three because there were a handful of turkey hunters, very passionate turkey hunters that understood that we needed to start conserving and, and uh, saving the, the birds that we all love. Mm-hmm. And there, oh God, what were the numbers, Jess? There were, there were it was in the tens of thousands of birds nationwide. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and since then, yeah, the birds have their, their cycles where that they're, they're really strong, you know, Eight years ago in the Midwest, I mean, you couldn't walk out your door without tripping over a turkey. Mm-hmm. And they're, they've kind of slumped. But uh, I think that's like most things in nature. You have highs and lows. Just hoping that you, you start whenever it's at a crest and not on the bottom. Uh, in Arizona, uh, what, what a lot of people don't realize is that Arizona has three populations, distinct populations of birds. We've got the Rio Grande. Uh, up in the northwest part of the state. So can I can I pause you right there? Sure. I'm curious about those birds. Is, are those pure Rio Grandes? Oh, I've I've heard both ways. Okay, but I I don't think they're pure. They they if if my understanding is correct, uh, 
there were birds starting to migrate down out of Utah okay. that were hybrids and, yeah. and were, were starting to breed with the Miriams and stuff. And then I have heard that like eight or 10 years ago, maybe a little longer, Game and Fish actually introduced pure Rios. Okay. I don't know whether that's true or not. Okay. That's just something I had heard. Yeah. Uh, Say but, those, because that was in 2008 when they put them on Black Rock Mountain. Yeah. And those were Utah birds. So uh, I'm not sure if they were pures to begin with. Okay. Okay. I, that's I just, not information I personally am yeah. privy to. I ask because I don't see people seeking them out as a specific species to go to go chase. Yeah. It. It. If you want to do. They have so many different slams. You know, they've got the U.S. slam, which is uh, all five species in the U.S. Of course, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll get back to, to I'll talk about that a little bit later. Uh, anyway, the, the NWTF, uh, when, when we started, there were just very few birds anywhere. Uh, since then, obviously, we've got, uh, like I said, we've got the Rio Grands up on the northwest part, the Miriams, which are across the center, along uh-huh. the Muggy on Rim, up towards Flagstaff. Uh, down around Payson and uh, all the way up to uh, Eager and Pine Top Lakeside, uh, Luna, all of, all of that area down onto the Blue, and then in the very southern part of the state, in the Sky Islands, are the Goulds. Mm-hmm. There are only two states in in the U.S. that have Goulds, and that uh, those are in uh, New Mexico and Arizona. Uh-huh. Well, the NWTF partnered with Arizona Game and Fish many years ago to uh, study the feasibility of bringing ghouls back into the states. And without the uh, partnership between the NWTF and the Arizona Game and Fish, we would not have ghouls turkeys in the United States at all. And the ones in New Mexico are actually ones that have been trapped here in Arizona and translocated over there. I didn't know that. Uh, And our ghouls actually came out of uh, Mexico, and it was it was quite a production. It many many years of research. Uh, then, when they finally decided where they would make the releases, the first releases were in the Huachuca Mountains outside of Sierra Vista, and they quarantined them after they trapped them in Mexico. They brought them up, quarantined them for I forget how long it was, quite a while, to make sure that they you know they didn't have any kind of diseases or anything. Right. Reintroduced them into the Huachucas. And uh, now they're in the Huachucas, the Chiricahuas. We had the same oh, yeah. discussion. Uh, Santa Rita's. Yeah, they're, they're in, I think, three or four different mountain ranges down yeah. south in the Sky Islands. Yeah. And they, uh, they are doing well. And they are, uh, they're tough birds to hunt, mm-hmm. but they are beautiful. Uh, turkeys. Usually, yeah. I feel like you could just go walking around down there because they're 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 not hunting so much. They're they're not jumpy at all. I see them every time I'm down there hunting merns. Go down there and hunt them during turkey season, though. Yeah, my my father in law sure says that about his farm in Missouri. I can see turkeys any day of the week. That's yeah, true. Yeah, but try yeah. and hunt them, and it's not so easy yep. then. Uh, but they uh, they are the toughest birds to get drawn for. Oh, no. uh, we have, like I said, we've got them in Arizona, New Mexico. I see where they just delisted them in New Mexico to where the people will be able to start getting drawn for them. Uh, the past few years, it was just by commissioner's tag in, in New Mexico. Yeah. Here, you can actually get drawn. Some people, I, I know people that have been drawn with three or four points. Uh, 
Mm-hmm. I know people that have got 20 points and yeah. can't get drawn. So yeah. it's uh, it's frustrating, but it's it's a lot of fun, and that doesn't mean you can't go out there right. and at least watch them and talk to them and visit with them. And yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. And it's some beautiful country down there. Oh, it is. Gosh, it is. I, I know that story all too well. Um, I uh, my, my plan here in Arizona is eventually I'm going to become a good enough turkey hunter that I can be successful archery hunting them, but I can keep saving those stack, uh, points. And one of these days, get a gold stack. Well, if you get drawn, give me a holler. I uh, you know I will. I, I, I refer to uh, one of our board members was with uh, Game and Fish. He was the game manager down there for many many years, and he was a big part of the Goulds program. Oh yeah. And he still does an annual survey every year. The the Wachuca Goulds, the Sierra mm-hmm. Vista chapter, does a survey in conjunction with the Game and Fish Department for Goulds down mm-hmm. there. And John's going to kill me for this, but if you looked up the Godfather of Goulds Turkey, <laughs> yeah. they'd probably have a picture of John Milliken. No, I've heard about it. Yeah, yep. he 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 knows his stuff, and I've been lucky enough to to tag along on a few of the commissioner tag hunts, and. It, it just every trip out with him, I learned something new. Wow. And he's just a he's just a good guy, and he really does. He he's passionate about about conservation, mm-hmm. you know. And people people here hunting, and they don't understand that most most people that hunt are conservationists at heart. Yeah, you know, I, I was just on the drive down here. I was having we, we Arizona Wildlife Federation has uh, hired a new new development guy, um, and we're all very thrilled. He seems like a wonderful guy. He's going to be a great great fit, um, a great part of the team. And we we just had that conversation, you know, not less than an hour ago about, you know, there, there's something about having that tangible connection to the wildlife that just creates passionate conservationists. You don't get this level, and I'm, I'm going to make folks mad here, I'm sure, but you don't get this level of involvement um, in in the birding or the herping or, or the hiking or the paddling community. I mean, there's some great conservationists in there. Don't, don't make any mistake about it. But the sporting community, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's they eat, breathe, and sleep conservation. You know, at least the majority of them do. And uh, sure. it's, 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 it's a great thing. But hey, so to, to round out, I know we're mostly talking about Arizona here, but just for folks listening, you talked about the, the Merriams, the Golds, and the Rios, uh, but we also have the Eastern and the Osceola, right? Am I missing anything? Correct. Nope. Those, well, those are the five species in right, the United States. We have those, right? We don't have we, those. We have, we have, well, we've got three of the five. Yep. But uh, in the United States, there are five distinct species. Subspecies. Uh, subspecies. Thank you, Mr. <laughs> Biologist. <laughs> <laughs> You've got the Osceola, which lives in Florida, southern Florida. Uh-huh. You've got the eastern, which covers most of the eastern part of the U.S. Yep. Uh, then you've got the Rio Grande, which is Texas, a little bit of New Mexico, and basically north. Yeah. Uh, then you've got the Miriams, which uh, I think California, Oregon. The mountain countries. Yeah, pretty yeah. much all the mountain country. They don't do well in the desert. They tried to relocate Miriams many years ago into some of the Sky Islands, and yep. there were a few pockets of them that would survive, but they didn't do so good. It's okay. just two, two different habitat. Yeah. Uh, and then you've got... Uh, you know the the ghouls that that uh, so many of us love. Uh, they do have one called an oscillated, which is down on the Yucatan Peninsula, mm-hmm. and they have they have different degrees of slams. I, I started to to talk and about that earlier. That one is a full species as well, down there. Correct. That, That's a full yes. species. Uh, it it they've got. If you go for the world slam, you got to kill all five that we talked about plus the oscillated. Uh, then you've got the. Uh, 
Grand Slam, which is the which four. is four birds, and it's the Osceola, the Eastern, the Rio Grande, and the Miriams, and then if you go with the Royal, that adds the the Goulds. Okay, uh, and then you can do like the Mexico Slam, which is all three species in Mexico. Uh, you can do a U.S. slam, which is at least one bird out of every of the of the states, and right. there are forty nine states that have right. have turkeys. Ironically, people don't realize this unless they've been there. Hawaii actually has a very strong population of Rio Grands. Do they really? So oh, yeah. you, you can if you I had no if, idea. if you want to hit your fifty and get your Rio Grand, tell Mama, hey, we got to go to Hawaii. Just Take the shotgun long, just in case. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I try to avoid even thinking about these slams because I can get obsessed with that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, um, that's what because um, the, the the forty nine that that Roy was talking about. That's, um, you also hear it's referred to as super the super slam. Yeah, yeah, yeah so the it's, US um, super slam. Yeah, because the uh, Alaska is the only state that you can't hunt turkeys in. Right. Uh, and but yeah, so a lot of guys will go to Hawaii and get that Rio over there. You gotta hit Hawaii to get your forty nine, anyways. Right. Right. It's a, so that's a good excuse. That we can take mom with you. <laughs> yeah, it's a vacation. Yeah, I, vacation. I've got far too many hobbies to go go down that that rabbit hole. <laughs> but uh, I could I could definitely see myself eventually wanting to chase all the different subspecies. Will you retire if if you actually are lucky enough to retire and get Man, to I, retire? I, I don't see that as an option for me. I'm going to work till I die probably. <laughs> but I, I I I've been retired ten yeah. years and I'm busier now than when yeah. I was working. Oh and yeah, had a business. Well, you know, there's two ways to go about life that I've noticed for for passionate outdoors people. And that's one, um, like my buddy Wolf Gummerman from, uh, he's on the Arizona Backcountry Hunters and Anglers board. I just had dinner at his house two nights ago. He worked hard. He, he raised his family. You know, he, he was a professor um, his whole life. And he, he got to retire while he's still young and healthy enough to get out and do stuff. And that man is just going all the time. Me, on the other hand, and I admire that. Me, on the other hand, I've spent my entire young life, adult life, playing, um, you know, and working as little as possible. Um, so, you know, and then I, then I also I had my had my children relatively late as well. So, you know, I've got little ones at home. And uh, so, you know, I have zero regrets. It's, it's worked out wonderfully for me. I love my work. Um, I, I, I love playing outdoors and, and I love my family. But there's definitely two two ways of looking on how to how to approach your life, and but either way, it's a good life, you know. But I'm a little jealous of these guys that are retired and out there just killing it right now. I mean, I can't say much. I'm on the same path as you, Mike. It's, <laughs> <laughs> I've gotten to see some really cool stuff in my younger years, and yeah. and uh, I'm only I'll be 33 this year. Sure, still yeah. just. Yeah, yeah, the way I figure it, if I if I kicked it tomorrow, I've already lived uh, enough awesome lifetimes that yeah. you know I got no complaints. So, so it's just uh, yeah, it's all, it's all just extra from here on out. Yes. All right. Um, let's see. We talked about subspecies. Um, I will say that you know rumor on the street is that uh, while Turkey Federation has almost worked itself out of a job, so to speak, you you've done so much good work getting these animals. Uh, birds reestablished and, and of course that you know of course you haven't you're there's plenty of hard work still left to do of course but but you've done such a good job over the years that uh yeah is there anywhere left to put turkeys uh there are always places we can find to uh, to get birds but it's it's not so much where we where can we put more turkeys right it's what can we do to preserve the <clears throat> excuse me the habitat that the birds live in mm -hmm. because if you're 
taking care if you're if you're a true conservationist and you're working on turkey habitat that turkey habitat is going to improve habitat for deer elk antelope squirrels rabbits coyotes mountain lions it it's across the board yeah where turkeys live it and you work on habitat for them it's going to improve it for all species yeah and that's why i think mo- most of the guys that i know through the through the nwtf uh, we're passionate turkey hunters but it's not laser focus it has to be just about turkeys it's about conservation but the NWTF has, has really branched out a lot more than just turkeys. Mm-hmm. Like I said, we, we are involved in conservation. The organization is well thought of enough in the national levels that when the uh, Congress signed an act and gave $50 million, guess who was the first one to be offered it? We didn't seek it. It was offered to us. Oh, that's awesome for landscape projects to help with fires, uh, fire prevention, thinning, burning, stuff like that. Uh, they didn't go to anybody else. They went to the NWTF first. So, I mean, that says something on the on the big scale Heck yeah, of, of what our organization does. We were also on the very edge of the R3 movement. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had uh, the very first meeting was actually uh, in Augusta, Georgia, right across the river from our national headquarters. And it had... Uh, Quality Deer Management uh, was there, Ducks Unlimited, Pheasants Unlimited, uh, the NWTF. I, I can't even remember who all was, was at, at those meetings, but the NWTF was, was one of them that helped to get the whole R3 movement to get people back involved in hunting and fishing. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's... I've, I've been involved with a lot of groups over the years, uh, and in my mind, the National Wild Turkey Federation is the one who really walks the walk when it comes to dealing with kids. Yeah. We put on uh, youth hunts. Mm-hmm. We put, uh, if you have a banquet, yeah. you know, one of our fundraisers, uh, where that you have something going on, uh, if it's, if it's a, a fundraising banquet, there are always something there for the kids so that the kids have a chance at prizes. Mm-hmm. We do hunts across the board. We, uh, we have special, I mean, uh, I, I'm not going to name names, but there are, we are the only organization I am aware of offhand that actually offers a kid's membership. It's our Jake's membership, which mm-hmm. is juniors acquiring knowledge, ethics, and sportsmanship. Oh, I love it. And, you know, a Jake is a young turkey. Right. young male but it, it could be either way uh but that that's what our our program is it's for kids mm-hmm. and a kid's membership is 15 dollars, and a full membership is 35 oh that's awesome so you know it, it's it's one of those we've I, I feel like we've led the charge in that that's why i shifted over and became uh, a member uh many years ago of the nwtf i started out as as a uh, committeeman for the flagstaff chapter and since have kind of moved my way, I, I moved when I retired. We moved from Phoenix or from uh, Winslow, uh, and I started the Wheeland Sportsman Chapter, which is that's our chapter for people with disabilities. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've also started a chapter in Tucson called the Saguaro Strutters, 
We also have a group called Women in the Outdoors, or WIDO, and that uh, is pretty much geared towards getting women in the outdoors, just what it is. They go out, they learn to shoot bows, archery, camping, cooking outdoors. It, it covers everything. And I'm going to do a quick plug. We are actually having a Women in the Outdoors and Wheeling Sportsman Dove Hunt September 9th, 9th mm-hmm. of this year. And uh, you don't have to be a member of the NWTF. And the folks that come are welcome to bring their families. Awesome. So it's, I mean, we're geared towards family. It's not just this group. It's the whole family that, that we're interested in trying to bring on board. Fantastic. That's a hell of a legacy. Something to be proud of. I, I, I've had a little part of it, but I'm, I'm proud to be a part of it. Sure. Yeah, I go touting the 100 years of AWF all the time, and I've only got about four years in, but I'm still very proud of it. Oh, so. yeah. It, you know, you find an organization or a group of people that, that you, uh, you believe in and you support, mm-hmm. and it's just it, it's hard not to – I've got lifelong friends that I have made through the, through the organization. And ironically, I've got, I, I know people that I had known for years to go into convention and national meetings and come to find out they grew up just down the road from my wife. We'd known each other for 10 years and didn't know that they basically right. grew up around each other. Well, heck you and I, we, we met in the conservation realm yeah. and we share, we share same stomping grounds back in Missouri. Yep. So, yeah. Small world. It, it really is. <laughs> Well, hey, let's get into some tactics. Let's talk about how to put a bird on the ground because that's really where I need you guys' help. Okay. Uh, <laughs> okay. So, first, so, you got to start burning candles. Then, oh, oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's talk about habitat a little bit, um, and you know, we'll, we'll primarily focus on on Merriam's here because you know, nobody gets gold stacks. It's the bread and butter. Um, there, yeah, yeah, it is. Uh, yeah, one thing that I kind of struggle with, you know, is I guess I, I'm getting more use to these, you know, kind of monotypic ponderosa pine ecosystems. And the more time you spend in them, the more you start seeing the subtleties in the differences in that ecosystem. And, and you, you, sure. get, you become a better hunter. Um, you know, back in the hardwoods of the Ozarks, you know, I, I grew up in those. I, I, you know, every little change, every little, you know, I know where to find turkeys. Mm-hmm. Um, here, you know, uh, whether it be squirrels or turkeys, it can be a little confusing, especially if you're new to that ecosystem, because it is so monotypic. It is so, so do you have any advice on places in that country? And I've learned a few, like, you know, they like to roost near canyons. You know, I got a couple spots that are great. They love to roost up on top of those canyons. And then they like to gobble and fly down in the canyon away from, from me. Yep. But, um, <laughs> But some of these more, you know, just open expanses of of ponderosa pines. Got any tips for finding birds in that stuff? Finding roosting sites? Say for me, so I grew up, uh, like I said, I grew up back east chasing, chasing whitetails and turkeys and whatnot. And, um, the number one thing my, my old man always pounded into my skull for, for that was was look for edges. Yeah. Whether it's a hard edge or a soft edge, you know, hard being like where – a tree stand or a stand of trees meets a parkland or a field or whatever. And then the soft edge being, you know, going from a hardwood stand to a softwood stand. Yeah. Um, so I take that and I shift it over to Arizona. And like you said, we're mostly a monotypic, you know, we have parklands here and there, but mm-hmm. it's mostly monotypic ponderosas. But what I mostly look for is a soft edge. So we have a lot of gambles oak. Mm-hmm. So I'm looking for stands of gambles oak, just something because whether it's subconscious in their in their minds or whatever, I still find that they still kind of hang around those soft edges. But I also look for 
what I call an Arizona hard edge, where instead of being that where that Ponderosa stand will make, come to a uh, Parkland, um, I'm looking for what you were just talking about, for those those steep drop-offs. Yeah, any change in topography. Yeah, anything, it's still an edge, it's still something shifts. Um, like, like you said, um, if you find that break over, especially near a tank, mm-hmm. you know, they're excellent places to... Yeah, to fin- finger ridges. I finger ridges are immaculate. If you can find one that has a even a small plateau, that just a sheer drop-off on one side, mm-hmm. um, they'll be... Re- I, I found it almost looked like there was an owl roosting in there because it was just piles or almost like, almost like el- right. owl pellets underneath it, um, these legacy uh, roosts. Yep. Um, so that's mostly what I'm just kind of keying in on, or you know, I'll be pulling all my my apps, my my Onyx, and looking for breaks. And um, but being monotypic, you know, with those gambles are usually you know they they get covered up by the the canopy. Yeah. Um, so you got to have boots on the ground. Right. And, but I'm looking for topography differences more so than stand differences on my on my app, my Onyx. Mm-hmm. Um, then I'll I'll go in and, and ground truth those. Uh, Usually with a shotgun because I'm usually pretty lazy and I won't get up and scout as much as I probably ought to. Right, but, right. Um, but that's another nice thing about turkey hunting is that they talk so much. If if they're talking that morning, yeah. Um, I can go in and I can. Uh, worst comes to worst, I'm just going to cruise roads and just try to get one to to strike, get yeah. one to to shot gobble at me. I'll be using a a locator call. Um, I hardly ever use turkey calls to locate. Um, right. I will if if sometimes. Um, like my old man, his favorite locator call was a boat paddle style box call. Right. Uh, but that's mostly what I'm looking for is more so topography edges more so than mm-hmm. vegetative edges. And I've, I, I think the old adage, uh, you know, it, it's kind of goes back to, to growing up hunting uh, big game a lot is the animals are where you're going to find them. Yeah. Yep. So you've got to, the sharp edges, the soft edges, those are important, but you've got to have the basics. You've got to have water. You got to have a place for them to roost and you got to have feed. Mm-hmm. If you don't have all three of those pretty slim chances, you're going to find birds. Mm-hmm. Uh, turkeys do not always roost. You know, you, you talked about legacy roosts. Those out West seem to be in few and far between. Uh, yeah, especially with Miriam's more of a nomadic yeah, subspecies. They are, they're a very nomadic subspecies. The, the, uh, the game and fish, uh, Arizona game and fish and other, other states, uh, put, uh, packs on them to kind of track them and try and figure out what, what birds are doing so that they can, uh, do translocations and put them in, in appropriate habitat. And some of the studies I've been lucky enough to, to look at, uh, these birds are crazy. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, they will cover, you know, you go back east, Missouri, the Ozarks, where you and I are used to hunting birds. Uh, birds might cover two or three miles in the course of their whole life. Yeah. yeah. The mm-hmm. only time there's really a, an outlier is once it comes time for, for breeding season and the, the toms are just nuts. They'll go wherever they yeah. think they've got a girlfriend at. Uh, otherwise, they don't ramble much out here. You can you can enlarge that. I mean, there are places where Goulds, uh, Miriams. I don't know about the Rios up here, but the Goulds and the Miriams cover ten square miles. Wow! I mean, it's just some of them are huge. Yeah. And then you get one that was just translocated that decided it went up to a location, decided it wanted to go to Payson. Yeah. 
or to, to Prescott, I mean, mm -hmm. which we've done some translocations over in, over there. So there's there's no rhyme or reason to a lot of it, but for habitat, you've got to you've got to have the three basics, and uh, uh, one of the one basically look for a mast crop. There there are multiple types of of uh, oaks in in the muggy on rim country and east and west of there. Uh, Pinions. I've seen I've seen turkeys out feeding on pinions. Yeah, you know, just it's it's a mast crop. I've yeah. seen them eat pine nuts off the pine trees. So, uh, you know, you look at a monocrop like like the pine forest that we've got almost a monoculture, uh, like you talked about. They will be there, mm -hmm. but they've got a roost tree. If you're lucky enough to find a roost tree, uh, I've seen roost trees on the edge of fields. Mm -hmm. You know, the edge of canyons are great, but I've seen them, again, at the edge of field. There was, there's one spot that I, I, I take kids to once in a while, and the rooster is actually in the middle of a field. There is nothing around it. It's like a 20-acre field, and here's this big old dead snag right in the middle of it, and that's where they roost. Yeah. You know, that, that, that's a good segue because I, I want to get into, like, a typical day in the turkey woods trying to locate them you know some calling techniques one thing that I, i've learned a hard lesson on here and i realize i keep talking about my failures as a turkey hunter but that's where you learn there's a lot of them um one thing i've learned you know back east we could get pretty damn close to those roost trees you know when you, you got a bird goblin before light you can sneak in there get pretty tight to them give them some self yelps and a lot of times they'll fly down in your direction but by the time they hit the ground they're in shotgun range out here I've screwed up trying to get close like that. And they spot me a long way off. And boy, I'll tell you what, there's not much more disheartening than ruining your, your turkey hunt before the sun's even up. Um, and they just, they go quiet and I know it's cause they spotted me, you know, yeah. it's just the wood, the, the woodlands, even their thick ponderosas are, you know, still much more open than those deciduous forests back East. Yeah. Well, Jess and I did a seminar Sunday and he made the point that, the you know the difference is you hunt in a, a hardwood forest that is thick the brush is thick you can get closer out here you're in a much more open habitat and where a bird might not see you within 50 yards back east or in the midwest and out here it's so open they can see you from two three hundred yards away just because you can't see them doesn't mean they can't see you mm -hmm. and there again it's one of those a lot of birds are shot between 9 and noon, 9 oh, and yeah. 11, is when an awful lot of the birds are shot. Not a lot of them are shot coming out of the roost. And I, I'm, I'm going to go kind of hunter's ed instructor here a little okay. bit. Uh, it, it's legal to shoot one off the roost, mm -hmm. but it's not ethical. Mm -hmm. That'd be like somebody walking into your house shooting you in bed. You know, So just because something's legal, it shouldn't necessarily be the right thing uh i don't try to get too close to the roosts yeah just because my experience is it blows them out yeah you know just just like you said it 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 uh, it spooks them uh the nice thing out here is because it is so open if you know the terrain a little bit or if you are proficient at reading your your onyx or your your on app uh and reading the topography you can kind of triangulate where the bird is mm -hmm. by doing a shot gobble or a shot call here or there. Yeah, and kind what of, is a shot call? Uh, I'm going to let Jess do. He he's got he's really good. She, uh, 
some people use door closing or a horn honking and use that. <laughs> I don't like those. Uh, They're mechanical, but that's not something natural. Yeah. Uh, I, I do a really terrible coyote howl. Mm -hmm. Uh, so I'm not going to embarrass anybody here by trying sure, it. Sure. Uh, my, my owl calls are, uh, are terrible. Mine are, mine are too, but they work. Yeah. <laughs> Jess keeps telling me, Roy, you need to practice so that you will get good. And it's one of those, yeah, <laughs> in my spare time. <laughs> right, right. But uh, it, yeah, it's, you've got all sorts of different uh, things you can do to shock them. And all you're really doing is just trying to get, get him to, to figure out where he's at mm -hmm. so that you don't end up blowing him out. And when you're doing that, you've got to realize sound travels up here, especially on a clear, cold morning like we're used to. Sound can travel a long ways. Yep. yep. Yeah. I. Uh, you know. I guess. The, and correct me if I'm wrong, but the simplest way to put this is during the spring, when these these toms, these male turkeys, are fired up, they're they're looking for girls. Um, they. Uh, you know. I, I guess the the way I would interpret is they feel like they are the king of the woodlands. Yep. So <laughs> any loud noise out there they're going to come back and they're, they're going to gobble at. Mm -hmm. So as a hunter, the most common ones I would say are crow call, um, an owl hoot yep. uh, are probably the two most common coyote howl, uh, which I've never used, but yeah, they'll, they'll also gobble at a slamming door. Yeah. Um, but Jess, you gotta, you get, can you give us an example? Yeah. So, uh, when we say an owl call, we're not talking about like a, like a great horn or a screech owl or something uh -huh. like that is the most colloquial of all of them for turkey hunting is the barred owl. Mm-hmm. Uh, which has an eight note call. Um, there's different ones you can you can chuckle and whatnot, but it's got the the classic eight note. Who cooks for you? Who cooks yep. for you all? Um, and yeah, so I can give a little demo on this, and hopefully it's not going to blow the speakers. Yeah, very nice. And yeah, so it's it's kind of a like I always kind of think of shot gobbles. It's a, it's a knee it's a knee jerk reaction. Yeah, like it's almost kind of funny. Like sometimes you get a bird to gobble and uh, like shot gobble like. You'll you'll hit them. Um, so like with an owl call, it's, it's more drawn out. You know that eight note. I mean, mm -hmm. you can chuckle and scream and whatnot, but um, any other time I'm doing a, a, a shot gobble, I'm usually so, using a very loud, very short sound. Mm -hmm. um, one of my favorites for especially for back east is a is a goose calls. Um, I always carry a goose call with yeah, me. That's interesting. And uh, yeah, just a short, just a wah, just a short blast on it, and I'll blow. I'll definitely blow the speakers yeah. out with a goose call in this room. Um, but it's one of those that you just surprised him. It's just that knee just, hey, what was that? Yeah. And so he, his response is the gobble. And you can almost, sometimes you can almost hear the embarrassment in their voice. Like, oh, I didn't mean to do that. <laughs> and, uh, but it's a good way to, to get on them and, and figure out where they are. But more importantly, find out where they are without them having any interest in coming towards you. Mm -hmm. um, which is where we use shot gobbles to, or locator calls as, as a whole to, Fine birds, especially when I'm scouting, I'll go yeah. down. Um, like I alluded to it earlier, like a, if I'm trying to learn a new area, never had boots on the ground in the spot before, um, I'll just cruise uh, logging roads or yeah. just access roads. Um, and then my distance is very, but I'll go 100 yards, quarter mile, something like that, and I'll get out of the truck. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes you can slam the door, and they'll, they'll gobble the slamming door, uh, but I'll hit them with a, yeah. with a locator, and I'll just keep going down the road and trying to, all right, so I got a bird here, I got a bird here, I got a bird here, and that gives me stuff to, to work with later on. Right. But so, you can overdo the shot gobbles. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, you know, one, one of the things, and, and Jess had said this, uh, Sunday, uh, you don't want to sit there and make that drawn long drawn out call mm -hmm. and then repeat it. You want to make your call 
whatever you're doing to, to shock them, you want to do that, then you want to be quiet so you can actually hear them if they're gobbling yeah. back yeah. at you. Uh, and I, it, it happens to all of us. You know, so many of us were, were uh, well, I make a lot of mistakes. <laughs> we hopefully all make I, a lot of mistakes. Hopefully I learn from some of them. Right. You know, some of them I have found myself repeating because of just bad habits. Yeah. But it's like any bad habit. You just have to make yourself break it. Uh, one of them is doing, you know, calling too often. Right. Yeah. You, know, you, just, you just have to learn not to do well, it. Well, it's not just, and I think you, you mentioned it too, but it's not calling, not, it's, it's calling too often, but it's also, especially with the locator calls, is the individual sound you're making is too long. Okay. Where, like, uh, if somebody wants a coyote howl, you know, you have that classic, oh, 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 and they want to mm-hmm. drag that, that last yeah. note out. Um, but if a, if a, he gobbles at the first part, you're making so much noise, you can't hear him. Right. So I, I prefer a short blast, you know, just a, a second or so, just something loud, um, natural sounding, but something loud that will get them to shock, but it cut it off soon enough that I can hear, right. hear him. And another great trick is if you're hunting with a buddy, mm-hmm. um, you can call, but make your buddy stand 30, 40 yards off to the side. Yeah. So he's not they're, – they're not getting the old – the noise pollution of your call and they have a more organic ability to okay to hear that gobble so just for the sake of my own curiosity um i know the barred owl is the the standard uh yeah but but that comes from the east did, did you ever try to like specifically like uh, imitate a spotted owl here no i never have with a spotted owl yeah I, i'm sure it doesn't make a difference to the turkeys but you know, yeah. a type A personality like mine. Yeah. Well, it's just the other thing is that all these calls that when we buy an owl hooter, uh-huh. they're all tuned to sound like sure, like like yeah. a barred owl. Um, what's that other call you got out there? Oh, uh, this one's a coyote call. Oh, really? Yeah, coyote howler. Yeah. So it's, I'll just go for it. Yeah. <laughs> just real, just just cut yeah. it right off at the end. Um, I like that. Kind of like a cha- more like a like a challenge bark. Yeah. Um, challenge howl that like you hear around breedings. Yeah, that's what I use for my locator, but it's more like if I was coyote hunting, it'd be more like a challenge bark right. kind of call. And I might pick one of those up. I, I typically, I start my morning with an owl hooter, and then I move into a crow call as, as the day wears yeah. on. Yeah, so my cousin, um, he, he recently moved, just moved out here to Arizona, too. He swears by crow calls. Um, I'm not a crow call user, especially out here because we don't have crows. Oh, we do. Uh, we do up in flag. Well, yeah, but... I don't know. It's, I don't ever use one. I use <laughs> so I'll use these in the same session. Yeah. Like if I don't get one to hammer on a, a barred owl call, yeah. I'll hammer I'll hammer them with a okay with a coyote call. But I'll, I'll always start with the owl just because it's a bit more subtle. Yeah. And that's the other thing is don't go right in and um, if you're trying to get on a bird, you can also uh, if you call too loud too early, mm-hmm. you can also blow them out that way. Just mm-hmm. you startle them too much. Yeah. Um, so I usually try to be a little bit more subtle. Right. And then I'll hit it something loud later. Okay. Yeah. It never hurts to have a couple of three locator calls with you. Right. Uh, they don't take up much room. They don't take up much weight. Of course, this is from a guy whose turkey hunting vest probably weighs 30 pounds. <laughs> <laughs> I weighed mine. It's at 22. Oh, jeez. With water. All right. All right. So we got a, we got a, it's, you know, the sun's not up yet, but we got a bird uh, yep. goblin. Mm-hmm. So what do you do next? Uh, if I know exactly where he is, I'm going to, well, it's going to depend. It's all going to depend on the cover. Mm-hmm. Like we were talking about, like if it's, so I'm going to, I'm going to try to move in on him. He's still on the roost. Um, but how close I get in is all going to depend on what country I'm in. If I'm, if I'm wide open, um, I'm going to back it off. I'm going to let him have a lot of room. 
uh, I might opt to set out a couple of decoys. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm not usually a decoy user. Yeah. But I have started using them more and more in Arizona because it's, it's so open right. that I want him to, to focus on something other than other me. Than you, yeah. Yeah. Now, uh, can I – I'll. <laughs> this is like oh, the entire podcast of mistakes. Um, <laughs> I'm going to throw in another mistake that I've made. Uh, you know, hunt, hunting birds that are fired up early in the morning, this is when most of the action is taking place. This is when those gobblers are out looking for hens. Yeah. Um, and it, it is, I've, I've, I don't want to say, I have obviously not successfully, uh, I guess back east, set up a Jake decoy along with a hen decoy. So the idea is a gobbler is going to see that Jake and be like, oh, no, no, no. You know, that's, yeah, she's not for you. She's for me, buddy. All right. But the mistake I've made uh, hunting them in the evening uh, with archery equipment and then putting out that Jake decoy. And, and he's, you know, he's all, his head's colored up. He looks like he's fired up and ready to go. And then I have a group of three Jakes come in on me and they see that Jake and they're like, oh crap, I don't want, I don't, I don't want to fight. And they turn and haul out. So, you know, just add that to the list of mistakes in the evenings. I've backed off on using the Jake decoy. I, I mostly just use the hen decoy. Now, if it's a morning where they're just blowing up, I might pull that one out and stick it out there. Yeah. If, if they're really aggressive sounding, that's when you want to use that Jake decoy uh what uh, jess and i have talked about this a few times uh what happens sometimes is you'll have that jake decoy out there with a hen or two uh and a tom will come in and think well where are the other jakes and he won't mess with them because jakes are like a bunch of little gangsters oh you know when when they when they get all together they'll beat they'll beat the daylights out of a tom no kidding they'll just gang up on him oh yeah yeah, it's one less thing to carry in the turkey woods. Yeah, well, I mean, it's 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 good for a backup or a uh-huh. failsafe. Uh, probably the biggest mistake I see other people making is not so much the use or the way they use their decoys. It's that they can't sit still. Oh, well, that's my problem. Yeah. yeah, they got the fidgets. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I do yeah. want to throw in one caveat before we jump off because I can see I can see where you're going with the with this. Um, one time I have had a lot of success with using a Jake with a hen is if I know I'm hunting multiple toms. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's that it's that their strength in numbers mentality. Yeah. Like if I have one Tom on one Jake, it's like like Roy said, there's well there's one, there's probably more Jakes. Yeah. Nobody really wants to fight. Exactly. You know? But I've had Tom uh, I've had hunts where I knew there were multiple Tom, like actual, you know, mature birds yeah. on the roost. Uh, and I set out that Jake and Hen. And that's when those toms come in, and I've had them knock the Jake off the stake, right? Uh, just beating the snot out of them, and it took me three days to clean the blood off them after I shot that tom, because uh, they were right on top. They were just beating on that. It was a brand new Avian X too. It was a good. That, was a, <laughs> that sold me on Avian X decoys, but uh, um, but so that's the one time I really like using a Jake is if I just have toms that are they're not wanting to play ball. Mm-hmm. But they, if they have the strength and numbers, I'll throw that Jake out there and kind of instigate a fight. Yeah. Um, but if it's one-on-one, like if I, if I know I'm hunting like a satellite tom especially, because yeah. uh, turkeys would be just like elk. You have your, your herd bowl and your satellite bowls. You have your, your flock toms and your satellite toms. Yeah. And the satellite toms are more likely to skedaddle at the mm-hmm. site of a Jake because they're the ones getting into more squabbles with those little biker gangs of Jakes yeah. going around. Man, I'm getting excited. My, my hunt starts the end of this month. Yeah, uh, it's getting close. <laughs> um, all right. 
So yeah, a little sidetrack into uh, to decoys there, but that's good. You know, and it's I always wonder should I be like covering the the basics, basics like we hunt these with a shotgun, you know? Yeah. Um, but uh, and yeah, who knows? I'm I'm gonna go ahead and, uh, with the with the idea that most folks listening to this that, that are really interested in turkey hunting yeah, have have that that foundational knowledge. But um, all right, so so we got our bird, we we've moved in on him. You want to give like an average, like how how close do you think you're going to get to a roosted bird here in Arizona in our pine forest? To a, how how close are you going to get to a roosted bird? I have walked under the tree and not known they were there. Yeah, yeah. and set up and been totally quiet, not used a call or anything mm-hmm. else, and had them come out of the roost, and I thought I was going to die. I, th- I thought something <laughs> was jumping on top of me. <laughs> I literally hit it. it it, it, it was a, uh, oh, oh, God, I'm coming to meet you kind of a day, yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, hard for the heart. Maybe I should rephrase this. How close do you want to get to, to a roosted bird? You start uh, my, your hunt. My goal is always 75 to 100 yards. See, and I, out here, I would not get that close. I, I, That's I, I said my goal is yeah. 75 yeah. to I've gotten busted but, within that range, but yeah. I get yeah. it. You know, you want to get close. You you want to yeah. be easy pickings for that Tom when he yeah. comes out of the roost. Most times when I set up, I'm at 250, 300. Yeah. But uh, if, so I've gone in on a new moon. Mm-hmm. I've gone in in thicker brush, like, like having a Tom up on a hillside, like right on a beautiful break in the ridge. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's gobbling, but there's so much understory that i was able to sneak in and you know i got to uh like 60 yards yeah from him and he still he had hands with him and he hit the ground walked the other way but he had no idea i was there yeah um i didn't ever tree call to him i just kind of just it was one of those mornings just wanted to kind of watch the show kind of deals and uh but he hit the ground i could hear hens yelping with him so i kind of figured i was sol to begin with but uh uh yeah he hit the dirt and i started calling with him but he was it was too late and he was sure. already yeah heading the other way but but that's, I mean, that's why they call it hunting and not killing. Yeah. I mean, this, sure. I, uh, if like I want talk, to eat turkey every night, I go to the store. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I mean, there's, there are very few things that can beat uh, a wild turkey if it's prepared properly. Yeah, that's uh, true. It's, it's lean meat, it's dark meat, and it's, it's good. My wife and I, and we just, just was laughing at me whenever, whenever I harvest a bird, the only thing that doesn't get utilized is the innards and most of those i, I save the gizzard the oh, heart gizzard, the liver, liver yeah uh, if i've got time i'll go to, the, to i'll go ahead and take the time to pluck them mm-hmm. uh if i'm in a little bit more of a hurry then i'll gut them and i just skin them yeah but the legs the breast the wings everything comes home yeah and well like I, we we're talking on sundays uh for me the heart and the gizzard never leave the mountain yeah oh it's, i got nice. a, i got a little uh jet boil i'll fry yeah. them up right there and yeah, I've, I've gotten in the habit of making pâtés out of my birds' livers. Um, yeah. Boy, they're good. They're oh, really good. Oh, my God, yeah. they're good. And, and I, you can do it with a mule deer, too, but you end up with so much pâté that it's like it, <laughs> you end up not finishing yeah. it. So, so turkey's perfect. Yeah, yeah it's, it's just the right size for three or four people. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it, but it, it, it's all, you know, the, the breast obviously is the, is the part that everybody considers a choice. Mm-hmm. But my wife and I, I mean, last week we finished up our last of our uh, turkey legs. Yeah, I, and I, I like she just legs. she yeah. she crock potted them real slow, yeah. mm-hmm. and we shredded them and made fajita meat out of them, and uh, cooked them up with uh, a lot of you know peppers and onions and stuff. And man, that sounds good. Oh. We're getting ahead of ourselves though. We haven't killed. Yeah, I was going to say we're the turkey. Yet. Yeah, we're 
Yeah, see, well, he's still he's right. still you, he's still in the tree. Let's see. <laughs> that that's my problem. Usually, I forget. Whoever's editing this is going to hate this episode. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um. All right. So let's. Uh. We got our bird. It's gobbling on the roost. It's still morning. We're set up. Let's let's go hundred yards away. Yeah. We got to call this bird in. How are we going to start? Uh. Well, I mean, you have the option. You either stay quiet until he hits the ground, or you start tree talking to him. Mm-hmm. So by tree talking, so. Uh. Are we assuming that the folks here kind of know the, the different turkey calls? No, no. Okay. I figure we work through them. I mean, okay. So yeah, so a tree call is the best way I can describe it is you have the yelp, the classic yelp, yelp, yelp. Mm-hmm. It's a very, very subtleized yelp. It's uh, and when when you're doing this, you've got to remember too that hopefully you're fairly close. Yeah. Volume control is very important because. Right. You can actually scare a bird silent if you're very close to him, yeah. and you just let out with a real belly Start buster. Yeah. It's, no, it's you're so much better to subtle. just really soft, really easy. Okay. Like barely using any air. That's on a diaphragm call, but mm-hmm. barely using any air, um, and just kind of letting him know that you're kind of like a, you're. You're a hen waking up. Yeah. Um, you're up. You're kind of chatty. You're kind of talking, but you're not really awake yet. You haven't had that cup of coffee yet. Right. And um, But he let them know that, hey, there's a hen here. Because the other thing that I always kind of think about is these birds all live with each other. Mm-hmm. They know everybody by voice. And you're yeah. coming in with a whole new accent. Right. Um, like you're probably literally talking Greek. Yeah. You know, like they know it's probably a human or probably mm-hmm. a, a turkey, but it's a different something yeah. else is going on here. Um, but at least let them let you know that letting them letting them know that you're there, uh, and that's why I kind of opt for. I'm I'm not much of a tree caller, um, but I have done it in the past with success. Yeah, and and real quick, you, you know, you were talking about using the diaphragm. If you're not used to using a diaphragm, probably one of the most difficult calls to master is the diaphragm. Once you get it down, you can make any sound that a turkey can make, right. you can make with a diaphragm. A lot of longtime turkey hunters will mm-hmm. use a diaphragm just because it frees their hands up when they are when they are shooting or hunting because yeah. the movement is what triggers them. Mm-hmm. But they have got so many other, they've got pot calls that are made out of slate, glass, metal, crystal, mm-hmm. like the one you've got. Uh, then they've got the box calls. Then they've got push button Classic calls. Classic turkey calls. Yeah. yeah, you know, and and you can make wing bone calls, trumpet calls, uh, scratch box. And Jess and I both, we've got an assortment of calls here with us. Uh, some of them are duplicates, and some of them are kind of personal favorites that we've acquired. And we both collect calls. I mean, it's, yeah. you know, it, it's one of those. Well, that's a neat tone, and you will learn that every call has the potential of sounding different because you can use different strikers Mm -hmm. on the same call to make different sounds. Uh, Some calls, depending on it, Jess referred to it the other day as a sweet spot that you can get just the tone you like. Jess likes a a, a much lighter, cleaner sound. I like that kind of raspy older hen sound for myself. And and that's kind of what I shoot for with most of my calls. But there again, I've got I've got calls that have got slate and petrified wood in it mm-hmm. that I can call with. Wow! So yeah, it's it it there again. It's another one of those rabbit holes. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, it is. Um, and yeah, I haven't gone deep down it. I, I want to get the job done. I I, I want to hunt, and I, I want 
I want birds to like how I sound. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, I've been impressed with Jess because he's making his own calls now. Yeah, the one I'm actually using right now is one I, I made and oh yeah, all, actually all my mouth calls. I don't have any store bots with me. No kidding. Yeah. I need a, I need an employee to make me some calls. Yeah. Oh, well, I can definitely do a couple. Good oh. luck, Mike. He's been promising me some oh. since he started, and I still haven't got one. Just you saying. You never said you wanted one of these. I got the stuff right here. I can make calls as we're doing the podcast. Oh. I've got the whole kit with me. But, all uh, right. Well, that, yeah. Boy, that'd be specialized, but that'd be kind of a fun podcast in itself. Um, all right. So we've got uh, we've got our bird. Um, we, we've tree yelped to him. He's yeah. flown down in our direction because he's interested in us. Yeah. So what, what, now that bird's on the ground, in, what, right. are we, what are you going to do next? Uh so hopefully during the whole getting in on him, uh, the tree talking, you've kind of gotten a, a idea for how hot he is. Mm-hmm. So amongst turkey hunters, we call it taking his temperature. Yeah. Um, we uh, kind of decide like how reactive he is to calls. And then Roy's got, I can see the, the steam coming out. Actually, no, what, what I was going to say is because if you have never been close to a bird when he does a fly down cackle and uh-huh. flies down, it can definitely get your attention and jess does a really good version of it you put me on the spot i, I, I am putting I you on the spot that, but I've, i'm uh, impressed with folks take that your head off you gotta do it right oh yeah <laughs> see now so i have a bad thing so it's funny i make these calls mm-hmm. um but i've one thing that i deal with that a lot of trick owners are going to deal with especially the first time they use diaphragm calls is I've never been able to lose my gag reflex. Yeah. So sometimes I can feel it coming into effect. Yeah. But so a, a fly down cackle is mostly a uh, we call it cutting. It's just very excited clucks. Um, just but it's just kind of the um, uh, what's the what's the effect when a car drives past and it's the Doppler Doppler effect. effect. It's kind of like yeah. a Doppler affected cut. I'm not that smart. I just watched uh, TV. That sounds great, man. Yeah, so it's uh, let me put my headphones back on. Why maybe take stuff off? Yeah, it's so hard to do these kind of podcasts because yeah, we could we could sit here and talk turkeys for eight hours, you know. Yeah, and- I I did a seminar for <laughs> Christian Hunters of America two weeks ago. I think it was two weeks yeah, ago. Yeah, March twenty first, I think it was. Um, and they said, "Well, how long is it going to take?" So, ah, 45 minutes will be in and out. <laughs> I think it went like two and a half hours. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, we're already an hour into this, um, and the, which is fine. I have no time limits here. But um, it just it's hard because, you know, I, I'd like to talk about setup, how to hide, you know, uh, yeah. things like that. And there's just so much to cover. And it's so hard when you're passionate about something to not go down those rabbit holes. And, right. So let's talk about let's backtrack a little okay. bit then. So we, we, we got in on this bird. So yep. we should have talked about the setup before we, we yeah. got exactly in the calling. Um so, like for me, what I'm gonna look for is, oh, for one, so I always pack a, I always have headlamps. So everybody's got headlamps sure. with them. Um, I'm notorious for not using headlamps mm-hmm. in the morning. Guys that hunt with me absolutely hate it. Yeah. Um, I kind of rely on my, on my night vision. Usually yeah. around turkey season, we seem to have pretty decent moon conditions. Mm-hmm. Um, but if I, I am using a headlamp, I'll use something with a green light. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's something about the green light. Why? I'm actually not 100 sure if they can't see it. Why not red? Uh, personally, I just I, I use green and I stuck okay. with what I used. Gotcha. <laughs> um, I use red. So. Yes, I know a lot of guys like red. Um, a lot of my green has has also been with 
so back east, I was a major wicked waterfowl hunter. Uh-huh. And I've had using green lights. So just to backtrack a little bit, where we would hunt was there's no motorboats allowed. Mm-hmm. And it was shallow enough to wade. So we would usually park the trucks, load up all of our stuff into jet sleds, and then just walk out into the marsh for, right from the road. And always using green headlamps to, to spot our way in. And I don't know how many times I just about stepped on ducks that were loafing, roosting at night, and they had no idea it was there. So you go in, you're trying, you're just trying to be quiet. Nobody's talking. Yeah. Um, only, only real sound is the water moving in front of you, um, unless somebody trips and falls and there's a big splash, sure. which happened to me a lot. And then there's a lot of talking. There's a lot of something. It's not quite <laughs> talking. But uh, uh, from that, being able to just walk right up on waterfowl, yeah. And not, and then they didn't know I was there. Yeah. With a white light, obviously they're going to blow out. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just kind of taken that right into turkey hunting. Like I said, I'm notorious for not using a light at all. Yeah. Um, I got that from my old man. And uh, so, yeah, I'm going to go in. Um, if I do need need some illumination, I'll use that green light. But I'm going to be trying to find a tree. Um, one of the, For my terrain, uh, I'd like to see your Roy's part of this. So Roy and I have talked turkey hunting for years. We've never actually hunted together. Oh, yeah? Um, we've, we've shared a lot of waypoints back and forth. Yeah, we, we have shared a lot of waypoints. We've mentored at some of the same camps. Uh, just to be honest, timing has been insane for us to try and uh, get together on, sure. on a yeah. turkey hunt. Uh, I haven't fired a gun at a turkey in three years because I have just been so busy with mentoring and helping other people. That, that, that is one downside of, of being a passionate conservationist is yep. you, you get so deeply into it that you, you sometimes stop hunting for yourself. Now, I'm yep. selfish. That's not going to be a problem for me. I can <laughs> promise you that. But uh, but I see that. I see that happen to folks. But you know what? It's, it's a pretty good trade-off, too. I yeah. get – until you've experienced it, 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 watching the kids in the woods, my daughter, uh, when she was when she was teaching – she referred to it as an aha moment when the when the kid they're working with finally gets it just that whole light bulb moment yeah and to be in the woods whenever that whenever the kids and the parents quite yep. often because a lot of times we've got parents out there with us that have never spent any time outdoors and all of a sudden they get it or you're sitting in the blind with them and you've got everything set up you know where the birds are mm-hmm. about and all of a sudden you hear that first gobble. Yeah. And those kids, their eyes just get big, mouths drop. And oh. oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, Mr. Crane, did you hear that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Shit>. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I get it. I get it. Um, like I said, I, I'm, I'm st- haven't killed enough birds that I'm, I'm not still very selfish. Uh, yeah. But, you know, I also have two small children um, that I'm taking out in the woods and on the water a lot. And, and I, yeah. It's, it's almost as good. You're <laughs> mentoring in your own way. But the day will come, trust me, Michael, the day will come when your kids, you take them out on their very first hunting trip, whether you're successful oh, no, or not. That, that day's come and gone <laughs> way, way past. Where they've harvested their own animals? Oh, for sure. Yeah, my little boy had a hell of a year this year. Uh, <laughs> see, I, I get a bigger kick out of watching kids harvest animals yeah. than, than I do mine. I, there again, I love turkey hunting. I would rather hunt turkeys than just about anything. Uh-huh. But watching kids or even grown adults harvest a bird. I, I had a guy who was in his 60s uh, with a disability uh, who was lucky enough to get drawn for a Gould's a couple of years ago. Wow. And I was with him when he shot his bird. 
and I, I almost had to use a, a rope to tow him back down to earth. He yeah. was he was floating oh. because he's been wanting to get a Goulds for so long, and he was lucky enough to get wow. drawn for one. Yeah. Well, this year is my little boy's first turkey tag. He's he's, t- oh, he's ten, so he nice. was also he had his first javelina hunt recently, and we both took javelina. That's a whole story that was just so magnificent. But I'm not going to get into it here for the sake of time. Um, but we were both both successful. That was his first big game. Uh, but he's got a turkey turkey tag. I don't think he's as confident because he he teases me. Uh, I told you we had, had dinner at my friend Will's house the other night. It was wild turkey, mm-hmm. and uh-huh. uh, yeah, he teased me all evening that because yeah, I don't want to bring birds home. But uh, <laughs> well, what now? See, he's he's thrown down the gauntlet. He's got to bring a bird home before Dad does. Uh, yeah, good luck with that, buddy. Because I, I just don't know if I'm I. I I don't know if I'm that selfless <laughs> to, to not want to shoot. Bring him, bring bird. him to our youth but camp. But I'm gonna try. Hey, I might need to hire somebody else to get my boy a bird. Yeah. What uh-huh. units you got? A seven west, same seven. as me. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't think I won't be hitting yeah. you up. I got waypoints. I would say I got a couple waypoints for you. Awesome. Yeah. Okay. Um, all right. But yeah, so going in, we got that bird in the roost. Before I actually started doing that tree calling, mm-hmm. um, I'm gonna like get, you got to find a place to sit down. Okay. You got to um, figure out what way to get your butt in the dirt. Um, and for terrain wise, I'm going to try to find a place with a break in the hill about 30, 40 yards in front of me. Mm-hmm. Um, not always possible in Arizona, but I'm going to try to find something that there's going to be not a barrier such as like a, a river or anything, but a visual barrier between yeah. the bird when he's on the ground and me. So that way when he comes looking for that, that hen that's not yeah. there, uh, he won't know there's not a hen there until he's in shotgun range. Right. So I'm going to try to find a break in the hill. And then once I found that bro- once I found a spot, to, whether the break is there or not, um, I'm going to try to find a tree to lean up against. And I'm always going to try to find one that's wider than I am. Yeah. Um, and that serves two purposes. One, it, it helps break up my outline for the bird. It also breaks up my outline if a less scrupulous hunter comes in behind me. Sure and sees my shoulders moving oh i heard a hand there's a movement bang yeah um so it keeps my shoulders from getting peppered well, too and it also having i wish i had a dollar for every time i had a bird coming in in front of me and one snuck in behind me that i didn't yeah. know was there yeah. and having that They're body outline broke up mm-hmm. can it, it it can actually give you kind of a second chance because i have been lucky enough to have them come in and i'm focused on the bird in front of me and out of the corner of my eye, I catch a little movement. I turn my head real slow. And here comes a little Tom, a little bitty Jake, just strutting down there. It's like, hmm. yeah. I, I, I don't have to. I'm, I'm out there to have a good time when I'm lucky enough to hunt. But I will harvest a Jake. Sure. I don't have to. I mean, it's great whenever you can harvest something. It's got a 10-inch a beard and, you mm-hmm. know, inch and a half spurs. But it's nice to go home with with. Oh yeah, Me? again. That's such a tough call to make. Like I said last year, that that first opportunity I had was pretty much a sure thing. I passed on that Jake, and you know, last day I'm kicking myself for passing on that Jake. But, you yeah, know what they you know. say? Don't shoot on the the you know the whole. <laughs> if you'd shoot <laughs> it on the last day hunt, shoot him on the first one right, too. Right. Yeah. Don't don't yeah. pass on. Oh, shoot, I'm messing it up too. Don't yeah. don't pass on on the first day with something that you kill on the last day. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Uh, and another another thing, you know, Jess was talking about the tree. A lot of times you can't find a tree out here. Mm-hmm. So you take a bush. Yeah. Uh, I have been known to sit myself and kids down into a little, I mean, you know, you got, there are places out there in the woods that have got a brush that's, you know, two or three foot high and it's uh-huh. six or eight foot across. You just kind of ease into it and 
park your butt. Right. But when you park your butt, one of the nice things to have is some sort of a pad to sit on yep. so that you don't have that Fidgeting tree stop around. sticking in your butt yeah. cheek yeah. or mm-hmm. something yeah, like that. I hunted out of a backpack for a couple of years when I first came out here because yeah. that's what I wanted to be like Steve Rinella and all these guys you see on TV, Western mm-hmm. hunters. and Yeah. You know, oh, they're hunting out of packs. I'll, I'll get rid of my turkey vest, or not get rid of it, but I'll, I'll take the, the pack instead of the vest. And then uh, two seasons of doing that, and it's like, no, I'm going back to my vest. Right, and, right. Know, having that that pad and having my calls and whatnot way more readily available. Yeah, than a, than no, that's, a, that's a really good point. I still hunt out of a pack. I would yeah. consider looking at a turkey the, vest. And, and they've got a lot of different turkey vests. Mm-hmm. Uh, look at the reviews. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to name names. Jess has a brand he likes. I've got a brand I like. Yeah. Uh, we we both have had luck with them, but it's a it my my turkey vest is a dedicated turkey vest. Yeah. It, yeah. And it's got pockets for every kind of call you can imagine. It's got a a, a kickstand on the back so that if I'm sitting in a brush, I can kick it back and uh, I don't have to sit there and, and sit upright the oh, whole nice. time. I can relax. It's got a about a two and a half inch thick pad that mm-hmm. uh, I can park my, my my butt on and sit and relax and, mm-hmm. and take care of calling. Uh, one of the things we didn't mention about uh, we we didn't really talk about is uh, camo. I was going to bring which that is up. is yeah. kind of it's that's a part of the whole thing before you go out into the woods, uh, folks. <laughs> hundreds of thousands of birds have been shot with people wearing blue jeans or, or bibs and mm-hmm. and a, a a shirt you know that they've got great eyesight more than anything it's the movement that <laughs> triggers them mm-hmm. they they are not colorblind like deer and elk they have great eyesight and they can see just about all the colors but it, movement is just like us movement is what triggers your attention yeah if you're still you can harvest a bird uh i've had a lot of people ask what kind of of uh camo i use and i just laugh and i tell them whatever's on sale or clearance yeah and i've got if i had tried to buy it outright god knows how many thousands of dollars of camo i've got Mm -hmm. and i've paid hundreds of dollars for it you know it just it's whatever's clearanced right yeah i guess just something it's important to break up that outline you don't want to be a big dark blob sitting there um and and you know i think the importance of a bright white face or bright white hands flashing around if you're raising that shotgun that's stuff they're going to pick up on quick so yeah so yeah you know i I don't when i'm i'm rifle hunting deer elk anything honestly it's it's not really i I wear camo because that's my outdoor clothes right but it's it's not of a great importance to me but but turkeys they got sharp eyesight turkeys have sharp eyesight probably the the one of the things we didn't really talk about is what not to wear Mm -hmm. don't wear anything four colors and I, i i knew three of them but the fourth one i i wasn't aware of uh our turkeys are not patriotic Good point. The, the Thank you for three this up. colors that you should never wear in the turkey woods are red, white, and blue, because that those are the colors. Jess, Jess is sitting here put, pulling up a turkey head that he's got, and the three colors on it are red, white, and blue. Yeah. And those colors will alternate uh, depending on the mood of the bird. But those, if somebody sees that, mm-hmm. not everybody is is scrupulous. Everybody, yeah. you know, you will always find a few that are just gonna. Oh, that looks like a bird shoot. The fourth one, and I didn't know this until I started doing seminars with Jess, is black. Because 
uh, a lot of the bird's body yeah. is black, black. which mm-hmm. I never really thought about, but it is true. Yeah. So, you know, those four colors you really don't want to wear in the woods. Uh, that's kind of a, a big no-no. Even my handkerchiefs are camouflaged. Yeah. Uh, what if, if you don't I carry have, an orange one? Yeah. I, I just, I've, I carry camel. It's just what I carry. Yeah. But, uh, if you don't have a lot of money to buy camo, you can go to, a, there's a number of places that you can buy camo cloth, just like a camel, not, not so much the plasticized tarp. There's, those are noisy, right? but they've got that camo cloth that has little cutouts that flutter right. like leaves. Yeah. They're like 20 bucks. Yeah. All right. So you, when I was a kid and I couldn't afford camouflage, mm-hmm. that's what I did. I bought one of those and I turned it into a tarp. I cut a hole for my head yep. in it. And that's how I killed my first, first Jake when I was a little kid. Yeah. And it, guess what? It still works. Whenever yeah. I take kids out, I can make up an improvised stand, uh, take a couple of tree limbs or something and stick them in the ground or, mm-hmm. uh, an extra, you know, uh, uh, decoy yep. uh, rod stick those in the ground i can make an instant blind just in in right. a matter of a minute yeah to to put a, a kid or two and their dad or their mom with uh, and then i'll sit back away from them and i like i said I, I carry stuff like that but that tarp can you can pull that over you and it's nice to have something like that especially if you're helping somebody yeah because if you're using it for yourself you can sit there and use your turkey call and have that draped over you and the birds aren't going to see your hands because they're under mm-hmm. that net yeah. Yeah. I use a, a pop-up blind when I'm archery hunting that fully conceals me. Um, and the problem with that is though, is like, yeah, if you got a bird on the roost goblin and you have time to get set up, but when you're like running and gunning throughout midday, just kind of trying to walk around, yelp and locate uh, gobblers that way, you, you get a bird to gobble and he might be on top of you before you got that blind set up and you're ready to go. So yeah. that, that's, that's, that's a little, well, that's yeah. where the tarp is, is nice. Or they've yeah. got, uh, it's basically, it's like a pantsuit. It's a, a leaf, uh, jacket and pants. Mm-hmm. And I have no idea. I know on, on the ones I'm, I'm using now, of course, I'm, I'm pretty big. So it takes a lot more material mm-hmm. that tend to cost more, but even mine, I found on clearance and, and uh, I think I paid 20 or $30 for the pantsuit, okay. the, the top and the bottom. So, I mean, it's, it's there. Uh, right. we just, always recommend those two for the the folks are coming up to turkey camp for the first time mm-hmm. because you don't they don't really know if they're gonna like turkey hunting or not so they don't want to you don't want to make them drop hundreds of dollars on brand new clothes because not just it's got to be camel but you got to be you know weather appropriate yeah but those suits like what roy's talking about is their their mesh mm-hmm. so uh you can wear your your normal weather appropriate clothes under them right throw that suit over top That's and you're instantly camouflaged but you're comfortable doing it yep yep all right let's uh let's keep let's keep working on this bird we got coming yep. in all right this bird's on the ground now um and you know, also i want to be clear you don't have to do the fly down no okay no. that, that's advanced just turkey hunting there but um and for the record i i do a cackle to demonstrate i don't do it in the woods Oh yeah, it's, I don't cackle in the woods. Okay, the reason that I asked them to though. do that is more to have people aware, so that what it when they like hear when that they noise, down. they know what it is. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, otherwise, they're not going to realize oh, the birds have have flown down. Right. And yeah. you know the woods. A lot of what happens in the turkey woods are visual. Yeah. 
mm-hmm. but I feel like even more of it is audio. It's oh yeah, it's, it's you your ears. Paint that picture. You've you've got to be able to tell what's going on mm-hmm. by what you can hear the birds doing. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, yeah. that gobbler's on the ground now. Yeah. So if he's on the ground, um, I'm gonna be taking his temperature. Uh, sometimes all he's gonna want is just a cluck, just to know that you're there, mm-hmm. and a cluck being the most basic turkey sound imaginable. And think of it like a like a turkey like a chicken's cluck. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the buck buck. So like a on a mouth call. And only have to do one or two of those. Can I point one thing out? Yes. When you are learning to call, be careful with that one because if you get too high pitched with that, it becomes an alarm call. Yes, and that's what, and that's the other thing is that it's because yeah, it's higher pitched, and then Louder. it's also really context based. Okay. Um, and so when it gets in a little bit closer, if I if he's hanging up, right, he's not mm-hmm. quite sold on it because I mean only call enough to get him to come in. Yeah. Um, if it, all it takes is a couple of clucks, that's fine. But yeah, if it's more of that more excited cluck, like what you're talking about, more like a it's still a cluck, it's not quite a cut yet. That's that what you're talking about, that putt, the P U T T. It's very it's an alarm call. Um if you hear a Tom doing that, you better be ready to kill him quick because he's mm-hmm. getting out of Can't there. Ready to take off. Yeah. And then um the the more uh uh, the call everybody thinks of when they think of turkey calling in the in the spring is going to be the yelp. Mm-hmm. So that's a that's a more of a drawn out cluck. So to cluck, I'm just putting this in a couple of from my roof of my mouth and going. But then for the yelp, I'm got it. So I'm lengthening it out. So more lengthening that out. And you heard a little bit of squeak in there. That mm-hmm. you can also run that with like a uh, a key key call. So yeah. a key key is an assembly call that turkeys will do. And I'll do this uh, more so. Like say Mr. Tom is come is he's got a hang up. He's got a hen with him. Mm-hmm. Um, and the hens kind of there's two ways you can deal with hens. You can either really try to piss her off mm-hmm. and, and her you know cut her off every time and try to mimic every, you know just being that real annoying you know repeating everything she says, or you can do like an assembly call. Which is it's the same call that a hen will make to poults to bring them all together, uh-huh. and then that language just goes back, just stays with them. Um, but I like I like mixing that key key in with uh, a yelp. So I might have the wrong mouth call for this one. So it's key key yelp 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 yelp, and it kind of I've used that before just to. And then hands of more out of curiosity come over and say, "All right, well, who's trying to bring me to, bring us around?" Yeah. And then now, and then you know, Tom's going to follow the hands, and mm-hmm. so I've have, I've killed a couple of Toms doing that. Um, and then the cutting, so that's more like an excitable call. So taking that that cluck and just really shorten it more, right? So uh, to be clear here for folks, yeah. The, the problem with hens is if if that Tom has already got hens, he's not going to leave a sure thing to yeah. come and check you out. Yeah. Don't so, leave hens to find hens. Right, right. And that's a problem you're going to run into. Yeah. Oh, it, 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 it is a problem that you can guarantee you're going to run into, but that doesn't mean you should give up on that Tom right. completely. Yep. Because that Tom, once he takes care of his girlfriends, chases them down, later on in the morning. He's going to remember where you were. He's going to remember where yeah. you were, and he's going to be thinking in the back of his mind, you know, she sounded kind of lonely. Maybe I ought to go give her a little company. <laughs> You know, yeah. and he will come, like Justin said earlier, 
he will know literally within feet of where you of were. where that call was. Yep. So when I take people out to help, I don't call next to them. Mm-hmm. I will call 20, 30 feet away from them if it's possible. Mm-hmm. A lot of it depends on the experience level. If, yeah. if they're experienced, then, then I'll do that. Otherwise, I try to uh, – you'll hear Jess a lot of the tones uh, changing on, on Jess as he's doing his calls. And it, it's the, – the trick is using your hand because it will mute the call but you can also change the direction from left to right to center mm-hmm. to down low to where it kind of bounces off the ground. So you can. Yeah, so, so that's yeah. Jess using his hand, hand yeah. to dictate where that call sounds like yeah. it's right. coming so, from. I'll try to throw it behind me a lot of times with mm-hmm. my hand. And, but that's one of those, if you're a caller, if you have a dedicated caller, they can do that. Yeah. You're not really going to want to do that so much if you're the one with the shotgun because then you're, you got to get your hands off off of your gun and yeah. if he pops his head up he's, he's closer than you thought he was and you're in a pickle that's mm-hmm. when usually if 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 you're lucky enough to get him within range but he's keeping his head tucked down in to strut or something mm-hmm. yeah. you want to get him to pop his head up and sometimes just a few little yelps or a kiki will yeah. will well, it'll pop his head up to look at you yeah i've even done the the forbidden act and putted at him to do to get his head you're up. kidding I'm it pumped. worked yeah wow you gotta be impressive. quick on the you gotta be quick on the trigger but it'll work yeah and, i and had one and he just he would not he just kept so all right so that's a great example for where we're going so he's coming in you've you've taken his temperature you've realized all right i gotta lean on him a little bit more but leaning on him means you gotta give him a little bit more calling yeah well hey before we go there because because yeah. that's a natural progression yeah let's talk about just just to round out the calling let's talk about purring and yeah. if he's say say he's like eh he's he's a little unsure about the situation he's not wanting to like come in that extra 10 20 yards you need yeah. him to yeah so a purring is to me it goes it mixes in with cuts yeah it's that's, a, that's it's a Roy on the on the pot call yeah it's a real contented sound it's a lot it's a feeding call um but you'll also hear one that call you'll hear this a lot if um if you're getting getting into turkey calling is the fighting purr and that's where two. That's advanced again. That's, it's, it is, it, but, I'm, it, you're, but you're going to run. You're going to yeah. hear it from other folks. Okay. But it, it is so you will hear purring it outside of that context. But for what we're talking about, mm-hmm. a purr is more of a contented, um, just chit chat between calming. different. And yeah. you can do it with okay a diaphragm. It yeah. sounds different. That was yeah. that was actually with with a, a slate call. Yeah. I can't get up. my 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 uh. See, that sounds great. I've always used my lips to do it, which doesn't sound as good as that. So yes, I can't. So I've always done it with the back of my throat, and for whatever reason, I can't get I it to can't roll. Right I can't now. roll my and, arms and, or anything you know, either. Jess had said earlier about the diaphragms. One of the things that, depending on on if it's a, a young person or mm-hmm. a, a, a lady or a woman, uh, or even a, a somebody who's not a, a big statured person. Pallets come in different sizes, right? And they actually have smaller pallets, and that's why when when Jess and I do seminars, uh, he actually will make calls for for the the ladies and the kids because they use a smaller frame yeah. to build that. Uh, I've actually uh, take my scissors and cut the the not the diaphragm itself, the latex, the but I'll cut the 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 the, 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 the the tape, the the tape that yep. they use, I'll cut that down to fit, 
But uh, we had somebody at a seminar uh, Friday that uh, said she had tried for years to use a diaphragm call and could never get it to call. And so just pulled out the smallest frame he had, built her one, and within, what, 15, 20 minutes? Yeah, she was helping. She was, she, was, she was starting to do Yelps, and she was like, oh, that sounds terrible. Yeah. And, and we laughed. We says, yeah, but 20 minutes ago, you couldn't even do that. Right. Yeah, you just know? just threw me a couple frames here, and they're vastly different sized. Yeah. This is like the fly tying of hunting, huh? Basically, yeah. yeah. So you have, funny enough, the larger one is called the small. Oh, yeah? Yeah, and there's no one kidding. bigger than that called the medium. I don't think there's a large, but then there's also an in-between for – the youth one that I threw you, uh-huh. and then the, the small, which is called a narrow. So it's going to have the same length as a small, but yeah. it's going to have the, the width of a youth. I, I, I should get you to make my little boy a couple calls. So I, start it's all them. right here. Yeah, so I can make a couple before, before you take off. Today. No kidding. Yeah. All right. Um, all right. Let's get back to where you were going, Jess. Yeah. Um, where was it going? Well, we were talking about you were, you were, you were leading, leading into the fighting purr. Oh, no. I was, I was just bringing the fighting purr in just talk about that. If somebody is researching turkey calls, they're going to run into the fighting purr. Somebody's going to be mentioning it. Mm-hmm. So it's I just it's because I was saying the the purr is is a more like a contented sound, but you'll hear the fighting. Just to let you know that it's, it's not. Mm-hmm. Even though I said it was it's contented sound, it's, it, there's well, variations. The, yeah. the fighting but, purr, you know, the the purr uh, is is just that it's it's contented. Uh, if if you've been lucky enough to sit on a ridge and watch the birds feeding below you without them knowing. Uh, during deer season or anything else, they'll have those little mm-hmm. just you can't even hear them purr because you're a little too far away. Yeah, yeah. But you can hear them do the little, and then they'll be purring, and uh, that that that's just everything is good when when they hear that. If a tom yeah. hears that or other hens hear that, they're gonna think okay everything's good. But the fighting purr is a great way if you've got. A tom that's a little hung up, yeah, not quite wanting to come in all the yeah. way. You do that fighting purr, and nine times out of ten, no kidding, if you're good that. at it, yeah. that fighting purr will yeah. draw a tom that's hung up. And I've I've seen birds hung up at 55, 60 yeah. yards that won't come in. And you do that fighting purr, and I'm terrible at it, so I'm not even trying. Yeah. But it's it's good enough to draw them in to shotgun range. All right, yeah. well, one of you guys got to try. Go it. for it. I'm. I'm not gonna try it right now, but uh, <laughs> oh, coward. Jeez. Yeah, um, but no, I want because I wanted to keep the progression going a little bit. All right. Um, but yeah, so we, we're taking his temperature. Uh, that bird's coming in, but he's probably gonna be. Hopefully, he's gonna give you a little bit of a show. Yeah. He's gonna be all puffed up. Right. You know, his head's gonna be strutting. Scrunt, yeah, his head's gonna be scrunched in. His wings are down and dragging. You might be able to hear his wingtips dragging across the dirt. Mm-hmm. Um, he's probably doing a little spitting and drumming and. Yeah. You know, doing that spit drum. It's so a sound you almost feel more than you hear. Yeah. 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 It's, it's almost at a guttural mm-hmm. level. Yeah. 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 It's a, it's, if you can hear that, he's, oh, the show is on. Yeah. But he, when he's doing that, he might be doing the, the, uh, I can't, I can't think what I want to call it, but just spinning. He'll be turning yeah. around, trying to, to yeah. kind of show his whole body off to the hens or the hens that he thinks is there. It's, he's displaying, um, I think. Yeah. He's just displaying. Term. But yeah, he's showing but, uh, all sides that he is, he is seriously the, the, yeah, the man of her dreams. Yep, yeah, <laughs> yep, yeah. He's a big cat in the area, but uh, yeah. So, um, hopefully by then you got your gun up. Mm-hmm. You're ready to go. You're ready. To, um, you know, taking that safety off is going to happen any moment now. But he just will not pick his head up. Yes, and, and then I'll really recommend we want to shoot these birds in the head with a shotgun. Well, yes, 
technically yeah. you don't want to shoot them in the head. If if you look at a turkey's head, yeah, uh, you know you've got about an eight inch spot. Okay, and so what you actually want to do is you want to shoot for what they would call uh, the waddle between the waddle and technically it's called the waddle and the caruncle, and you want to shoot them at the bottom of the waddle, which is that kind of red little beard that hangs below their head. Okay. At least that's where I, I yeah. tell kids to See, shoot at. Because I always grew up calling – I always grew up with the saying, shoot them in the red. Yeah. So if you're looking at a turkey's head, and I'm, I'm holding a, a display model in my hand, is you have multiple pieces of red on a turkey's head. I mean, you have the snood, which is the, the flap that hangs over the beak. Yep. And then there's the flap under the beak. That's the waddle. Mm-hmm. You'll, um, and then you'll have some – a little bit of red, like scaling on the back of the head. Those are the minor caruncles. But if you go to the base of his head, down where his throat is, pretty uh-huh. much where his his where the the flesh meets the feathers, those are the major caruncles. Okay, and that's going to be these big red dulip kind of they things. They look like big old red warts. Yeah, gotcha. yeah, and that's where I'm going to put my bead. Personally, <laughs> is that I'm going to put that. I'm going to shoot them in. So that all of this is red, but that's the red I'm talking about. Is right where the the feathers meet the head uh-huh. is I'm going to put it right there because your gotcha. pattern is going to be a little bit higher and a little bit lower. It's going to give you more center mass, huh? Or, or yeah. More, well, yeah. More opportunity to screw up. When, he, when he's coming in, he's probably going to have be displaying. His, right. His right. head is all scrunched up. Um, so I like having, especially if you have a buddy there with you, that can mm-hmm. that can uh, get his head up. Yeah. Um, if you're not using a diaphragm call, your hands are probably pretty busy with, with your shotgun. Um, but, uh, yeah, you got to get that head up somehow. Okay. So yeah. – I mean, yeah. they, they do have, you know, if, if you can't master the diaphragm call, they do have what they call a push box. And it makes pretty much every sound except for a gobble. Uh, and mine, when I'm, when I'm hunting by myself, I even though I use all the other calls, I will hook this thing up on my barrel. And I, I really like it because I can tape it to the barrel and I will tape it so that it is right next to my hand, so that when I'm holding the gun up, my finger is right there by the th- by the. Oh, the I like call. that. And that way, you can you've got your diaphragm. Maybe you've got your diaphragm call that you can yeah. use, but you also got this. And sometimes the different sounds, the different tones, different. It's just like a different birds. Yeah. And you can sit there and get them up there and do the. And that's enough to get their head popped up. Okay. You know, and that way you're not sitting there with a box trying to make the noise and then get to your gun. Uh, I, we give these out to all of the kids at our uh, at our youth camps. Oh, great. And it's it, it's a great beginner call. And, I mean, when I go into the woods by myself to hunt, uh, I, I have that taped onto my – I tape it on. Some people use rubber bands so they can take it on and off. Yeah. Uh, I've okay. used Tacticam to yeah. try and record it, and then I forget it's there. And <laughs> yeah, I, I need to go out and pick up some more diaphragms this year. I've got my slate. I've got some box calls. I rarely use the box calls. Sometimes I do when I'm trying to locate birds. Yeah. Um, I primary I like the slate, um, and I, I'm, I'm relatively I feel pretty confident with diaphragm call as well. Uh, but I, most of my confidence comes with the pot call. Yeah, no, that was the. Um so it took me years to get comfortable with a with a diaphragm, comfortable uh-huh. enough that I was going to go out in the woods and and actually call. Yeah. Um, and it came down to just practice. Yeah. I just had to get sure. practice a lot. But uh, yeah, keep them in your truck. Well, don't yeah. don't 
don't let the thought of a diaphragm call being difficult spook you from using them out there. Right. Uh, I I was calling turkeys with I I, I was decent at calling elk, mm-hmm. and I I mean my first first two years of turkey hunting, I was using elk calls because they didn't make them different. You know, yeah. you used what you had. And, uh, yeah. And if you do have one, like I've made elk calls that, I mean, you can even get some decent, some decent, subtle tricky sounds. So this is just a single read elk call that I've, that I've built, but you can still. That'd do the trick. But there is, it, it, I, I've had kids using turkey calls that we had one one young lady that uh, her and her dad and I, she had us rolling on the floor of the blind. We were laughing so hard because she was she was learning how to use a, a diaphragm call, mm-hmm. and we called it her turducken call <laughs> because there were times it sounded like a duck. Yeah. You know, yeah. it sounded like everything, and we were laughing so hard. And for whatever reason. I stuck my head up to look out the blind, and guess what? We've got six jakes walking right down yeah. towards us. So wow. <laughs> there's there's no such thing as a bad call. If nothing else, they're going to come and look at what the hell is right, it making right. that noise? Well, yeah, I'll point out that as we're sitting here chatting, Jess is over there making diaphragm calls, which I think is just cool as could be. If I can get this tape on here correctly. All right, so we got that bird. Uh, we, we've waited. He's popped his head up. How far away is this bird when we're shooting it? That- I depends I, i'm going to interrupt real quick that depends on how comfortable you are with your gun That's and how well you know it and loads too it is uh back when i first started hunting we were shooting turkeys at 15 20 15 yards, yards yeah. with quail loads mm-hmm. you know with with number six and number seven shot two and yep. three quarter uh in 20 gauge yep uh i know people that hunt them religiously with four tens mm-hmm. it it know know your gun pattern it Mm-hmm. Uh, the new, a lot of the new shot they've got now is TSS, which is tungsten uh, stainless. Super tungsten super shot. Expensive. Tungsten super shot. Yeah, it it is horribly expensive. I got a little box of four tens for. It, it, well, this is really sucks. Uh, my 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 little boy had uh, his grandfather um, gave him a, a single barrel four ten, mm-hmm. um, and I was like, awesome, turkey season's coming. This is gonna be perfect. And now he can shoot my twenty gauge too, and we, we'll use that if we have to. But I went out and bought for sixty dollars a tiny little box of what, like five or six, four, five, five rounds TSS yep. loads, and but I don't think the gun's going to take them. I think they're too long. Well, oh, most four tens are chambered for three inch, so it should it's, take it. It's old. I'll try again. Yeah, I didn't want to force it. It in might my be house, an old you know, two and a half days. Oh uh, gosh, it yeah, might be. I it's an old. Gun. They did make them. So. Yeah. Uh, another thing to look at too, you know, patterning your gun, knowing your gun. Uh, if you go exclusively turkey loads, mm-hmm. it's expensive. Oh, I know. But nothing says you can't go to one of the one of the outdoor or sporting goods stores and uh, buy yourself a box of uh, fives, yeah, or sixes, yeah. Lots of birds been killed with number six, two and three quarter. Okay. Uh, My first turkey I ever shot was with what would normally be called a squirrel load. Yeah. Right. Two yep. and three quarter inch, twelve gauge mm-hmm. numbers, uh, number sixes, out of a modified choke. So we're gonna say twenty to thirty yards for non-specialized loads. Is that safe? That's very safe. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah it, I yeah, mean, you're still in twenty gauge country. You don't uh-huh. want to hunt turkeys. You don't want to take a shot at a turkey with uh, a dove load at right. twenty-five yards. 
if you're, if that's all you, you just, I, I love the way Jess refers to it at our seminars. You run what you brung. Yeah. And if that's all you've got, then, you know, you might have to get yeah. him into five or 10 yards okay. to make sure you've got a lethal shot. But the most important thing is know your gun, pattern it. We have kids every year that come up that dad says, well, yeah, we patterned the gun. Did you shoot it or did he? Yeah. Well, I did. Okay, well, how did you do it? Well, we went out to the dove range or the, the, the skeet range and we were shooting clays. Yeah. Okay, that doesn't tell me you patterned it. Right. There right. is a specific way to pattern a gun. And it once you know the gun and once you know what ammo shoots best through it, mm -hmm. There, there are head. I mean, there are shortcuts. Uh, Google and and places like that are great ways to to uh, go in and find kind of narrow it down to where that these rounds tend to work best for guns shooting an improved cylinder or uh, an improved modified. Uh, Jess and I have talked quite a bit, and one of the things now that they're coming out with uh, TSS stuff like that. Uh, in the old days, you used a uh, extra full choke. Yeah. Well, if you do an extra full choke with TSS, you're probably going to blow the end out of your barrel. Okay. It it and it's not going to pattern right. It 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 is so much denser, gives you so much better range, but it is better not to try and constrict it like you would. Okay. Uh, conventional. So way. you shoot a modified TSS. There again, I would I would probably uh, I would play with modified myself. Uh, would be probably an improved modified. Yeah. All right. Now, you know, I don't, I don't want to venture uh, to say, you know, a 12 gauge with TSS loads and a nice red dot sight um, on, on your effective range. Cause I think we might be pushing people into irresponsible territory, but from, as I understand it, you know, just hearing through the grapevine, you can, you can put a bird down pretty far out there. I know people that have shot birds at 60 and 65 yards. I had a hunter last year harvest a ghouls that I helped with, uh, the gentleman with a disability. He shot his bird at 55 yards. Wow. But red dot, yeah. TSS, strictly that was his turkey hunting gun. Yeah. And he knew that gun inside and out. And he said, Roy, I have no doubt I could have shot that bird at 65 yards. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, if, if you look at the numbers, like I've heard guys talking about like 80 yards. Wow. With a, I will never advocate shooting that. Far. Right, right. But right. with these dedicated setups, uh -huh. it is possible. You can do I'm it. A, like I have a personal, like I'm, I'm a 40-yard guy. Yeah. I have a limit at 40 yards. If he's hung up and last day of the season, yeah, yeah. I'm probably going to shoot him at 40. But yeah, That's my comfort zone. Yeah, I'm yeah. going to do my best – to get them around that 15 to 25 okay for for my guns in patterning and whatnot sub 15 i'm shooting a rifle yeah uh and 25 is just i just like them at that range mm -hmm. um so i have my, if i sub 15 i have a higher chance of missing seen, and i yeah. shoot a red dot and all that i went you down, went way down the rabbit I hole. I went down the rabbit hole. <laughs> to, I've to, got, be, to be clear, also, just for yeah. folks that maybe aren't picturing this, you know, with a shotgun, you're shooting a pattern. You're not shooting a single projectile. Correct. So at the right range, that pattern is going to perfect, perfectly engulf that bird's head and neck. If you're too close, that pattern hasn't had an opportunity to spread out. So you're shooting a much smaller pattern. It's a lot easier to miss with a smaller pattern. Well, it's also easier 
uh, from firsthand experience, if you shoot a bird, you've patterned your gun at 30 yards and he comes in and you don't realize that he's there. And then all of a sudden the gun pops into your hand, you pull the trigger at five yards and you've got the headless turkey running around. Right. Yeah. And your taxidermist does not like that. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. Sure. And it, it, it is very messy. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it's, that's exactly right. You've got to be careful. Uh, know, know your gun, know the gun, know the range. And I carry a range finder with me whenever I go out. Uh, I don't range the bird as he comes in, but I will range everything around there. Yeah, I do little, the same little thing. Little trees or trees stumps and or stumps and rocks, mm-hmm. and that way I use that as a gauge. When I use decoys, I set my decoys at 25 yards mm-hmm. because that way I can get them coming in to the decoys. Yeah. Or I, I've been lucky. I haven't had to bury any of my decoys yet, but there are, there are a few that have been dinged by pellets over the years. But sure. I've never... I've never hit one bad. I have a friend who <laughs> destroyed one of his uh, hunter's ed instructor in the Midwest, and he would he would talk to everybody about his old friend Tom. They'd been hunting for decades together, and a couple of years ago, I accidentally shot him in the face. And you can see these people, oh, my God. Oh. <laughs> and he's, he's, he's here to talk to you kids about gun safety, yeah. knowing the tab plus one and all of this stuff. Right. Make sure you're shot. And so he, then he reaches down under the table and he brings out this decoy that <laughs> he's, he is the worst for wear, but he still works. He still yeah. uses it. Yeah. Oh, hell, we covered a lot here. Um, maybe not in the best, most perfect order, but we covered a lot. We got a bird on the ground. Um, I guess let, let's maybe, let's maybe wrap this up with just briefly touch on uh, what, what do you guys do with your birds when you get them back home? It depends on, okay, you, you've just shot the bird. Mm-hmm. This is the bird of a lifetime. Okay. He's got a 12 inch beard, two inch spurs, and he is the biggest, biggest, baddest bird you've ever seen in your life. You're going to run like hell. You're going to get him into your cooler full of ice. You know what? Actually, I should have paused. So, so again, <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sorry, too many directions. We've shot that bird. Now, when I was a kid, the the school of thought was you drop that shotgun and you you hightail it to that bird in in case you may not hit him that good and he decides Step to get up head. and fly away yep so we just and boy talk about it, as a child and even as an adult the most exciting feeling of knocking that bird down mm-hmm. and getting up and running after him is that that's that still that's how still, we do it that's still the way you do it you run up there and you put your foot on his neck okay well, there's two schools of thought. There's especially the TSS because guys just hammer them so bad. Yeah. Um, actually, in our NWTF presentations, on our national presentations, we actually have, are starting to advocate against it. Not saying it's a bad thing, but saying you're you're probably better off waiting an extra second or two with your gun ready. So if he does pop up, sure. you're gonna shoot him again. Yeah. Um, Good point. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I grew up the exact same way. You, what you just yeah. described is as soon as that gun goes off, you're up, guns in hand, and away you go. Yeah. And with archery equipment, it's it's specifically important because those bird you can put you can put an arrow through a double long, and, and that bird can still get up and fly away. Yeah. Oh yeah. So that was that was my first turkey. <laughs> oh boy. He looked like a pincushion by the time. Yeah. So so he had. Um, so, yeah, you're going to take one of those two schools of thought. You're either going to run up and step on his head or you're going to give him a second and then go up and step on his head. Yeah. It's, it's the same right. brand result both ways. Um, and after that, I'm going to put my tag on him, 
and start making way with yep. the truck. You might want to be careful on your way to the truck because there's a yes. lot of excited, um, maybe unscrupulous, maybe not so thoughtful hunters out there that uh, that might see a see a turkey going through the woods, even though it's upside down, and get excited and take yeah, a shot. Yeah, and a lot of turkey vests nowadays mm-hmm. all come with a, a like where normally like our water bottle pouch would be, like, yep. in, like in a Camelback. Um, there's a, a stashed orange Perfect. flag. Yep, you put great. that on there. I carry an orange uh, bandana. Yep, I'll wrap that around him. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing to be careful for is if you're walking, you're walking back to the truck, especially it's not as common on our Miriam's birds, but uh, uh, I have stuck myself in the neck with spurs. Right. Um, so I'll usually carry a piece of cordage. For me, it's just 550 cord, mm-hmm. paracord. Um, I'll pick up a stick, just a something, make a handle, and I'll wrap the, I'll, I'll lasso his his feet with the paracord, have him draped from my shoulder, but get those spurs back on my shoulders mm-hmm. and away from my neck. Yeah. Um, a little safety thing, just when you're walking back to the truck, make sure you don't stick or scratch yourself with yeah. with the spurs, especially if you shoot that time of a lifetime, those big two-inch hooks. Um, yeah, they 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 can scar your shoulder. Yeah. yeah. And maybe not permanently, but it'll take a while. But you're wearing a turkey vest, too. There's a lot more padding back yeah. there. <laughs> I'd be well, happy to make that trade. One, yeah. one of the things that, that came up at our last seminar was somebody suggested, it may have been you, suggested putting a uh, uh, like a, a black garbage bag or something over their head and then rubber banding it. I so got that, that from a taxidermist. Actually, was at okay. a seminar that I taught, and because somebody else asked a question, all right, he's going to taxidermist. What like how do I take care of him in the field? Mm-hmm. And luckily, there was a taxidermist in the audience that was able to answer the question. Oh, that's great! And uh, so he popped right up and. and uh, recommended having a bag of some sort yeah. a ziploc a, a, a grocery bag a, a garbage bag like right now roy and I, we both carry bags out with us for picking up trash yeah um maybe have an extra one with you and using zip ties or that yeah, piece of cordage or whatever and you can wrap that around his head on the way out one is going to get rid of that all those colors yeah um we talked about the red white and blue but at the same time it's going to keep his blood because you just shot him in the head he's yeah. bleeding it's gonna keep the feather the feathers cleaner for the taxidermist and it's gonna keep you cleaner right uh instead of having that bloody stump bou- bouncing across the your back you yeah. know you, you've cleaned that up yeah and one of the things now this this is more important if you're going to get a, have a taxidermist work do your bird uh you don't want to touch him with a knife yeah. period that's the taxidermist job but so that you don't mess the feathers up my personal favorite is either a turkey sock or if you're a tightwad like me, uh, an old pantyhose. Yeah. You know, just one of the legs. Yeah, I know. I know. You slide that over that like for other birds. I didn't know it, if they were big enough for a turkey, though. It, it will fit. Okay. It will fit over a turkey, uh, especially if it's a plus size. Uh, it'll fit over the turkey. <laughs> it'll fit over the turkey and it'll fit over the body to where it'll hold all the feathers in place because invariably hiking out. That bird is swinging back and forth, yeah. and then when you try to pull him out of your pack, you're you're risking tearing feathers up or breaking feathers. So you want to keep him as intact as possible. As soon as you can, get to your ice chest, mm-hmm. take all the soda pop and water out of it, toss that bird in there, get him cold, and get him to the taxidermist as fast as you can. Okay, uh, keep him keep him cool. Now, if you're just going to harvest him and... I was going to say, I'm, I'm not a taxidermy guy. I'm a food guy. See, Same cut, here. cut the beard off, cut the mm-hmm. spurs off for, for, you know, I mean, there are guys that make necklaces out of the spurs. Yep. Uh, you can do a lot of stuff with them. 
if, if you're going to harvest the bird and it's strictly a food bird, then obviously you want to go ahead and make the incision from the, the groin up to the chest mm -hmm. and clean them out, get them cooled off. Keep the good parts. Yep, keep the good parts and... Get them on ice. I, I, I take a lot of pride in my meat, yeah. the wild mm -hmm. meat that I bring home, and I, I try to take exquisite care of it. And birds are, are more durable, I think, than things like rabbits or squirrels. I mean, meaning that you can keep them, you know, in the field longer. With that said, I got buddies that really push that. You know, they leave their ducks sitting there in the sunshine, you know, for hours. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, that's I'm not I'm not into that. So for me, it's it's I always have a cooler in my truck, yeah. uh, an ice yep. or ice jugs, and, and it's uh, my ice chest. I've got I've got the ones that my friends call coffin coolers mm -hmm. for you know when I'm elk hunting or deer hunting or something. Yep. But then I've got the the other smaller coolers. But I always make sure I've got a cooler big enough that I can put an entire turkey in if yep. I'm turkey hunting. Yep. yep. There's always a canyon, a canyon 55 in the back of the truck. Yep. And not, not a great idea to use ice you buy from the store. It's much because it'll melt and you don't want your bird or meat sitting there soaking in water. But I like to use jugs. And, you know, when in the off season, uh, there's plenty of room in my freezer to keep, you know, eight, 12 uh, water jugs frozen. And, you know, when, when, when it's full, or, and I get that backwards, in the off season, usually my coolers, my, my freezer is full of meat. Um, and then uh, during the hunting season, it's usually been cleared out. So I have room for those jugs. And, yeah. Uh, yep. yeah. But I, I don't I don't use the uh, gallon jugs. I yeah. use the half gallon or quart. And what I have found is right. the little white ones that are, are they're, they're way more durable than the clear yeah, plastic. They're heavier ones. plastic. They're, really? they're heavier plastic. And the nice thing is, on a, a turkey, you can actually fit two of those into their cavity. Yeah, well, that's what I, I like the, the gallon ones to put inside of a javelina inside of a deer carcass. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but the smaller ones are great. That's for a great idea. Like, yeah, you could freeze Gatorade bottles too. Yeah, um, they're yeah. very durable. Yep. So, awesome, but good stuff. It, it's all good stuff. And then, of course, there's there are so many different ways to 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 prepare mm -hmm. your harvest. Uh, most importantly is get out there, enjoy yourself, learn. Uh, we were talking whenever the batteries died, uh, there was a video that you had watched. Yeah. Uh, I think that would be a good recommendation because the sure. more you know about what you're hunting, and it doesn't matter what species, the more you know, the yeah. better you're going to be qualified to hunt. Yeah. So, yeah, this is a documentary we were talking about earlier, and it's not one that you're, you're probably going to find, you know, just following hunting stuff. But it was called My Life as a Turkey. Um, and it was a naturalist, you know, I assume biologist, a gentleman who was living, I think, in North Florida or Georgia, somewhere like that, southeast. And he had come across some, a neighbor, I think, had, had brush hogged over a, a turkey nest or something. He collected a, a batch of, of wild turkey eggs and gave them to him. And he raised these birds. And day in, day out, he was with those birds. And I learned things about turkeys that I would I had no clue. But I mean, it's just this great insight into the life of a turkey, how they think. And the end is kind of tragic, because his, his let's see, I'll screw it up. Some of the birds. Well, I'm here to spoilers. Hit, hit breeding. <laughs> yeah, it's still worth watching. They they hit spring and they get real aggressive and they want to oh, fight him. Yeah. Um. And I mean, to the point of hurting him. Yeah. Um. And I don't know. I'll, I'll let. I'll leave it alone. It was an excellent documentary. I highly recommend it to anybody. I don't know where to tell you to go look for it. I don't remember the gentleman's name, but if you if you Google my life as a turkey, I bet you'll find it. Nice. Yeah, I'll have yeah. to look that up because I hadn't heard of it until you guys were oh, talking about it. That's a good one. 
And then if you enjoy it, go on and watch. He did another one on Mule Deer. It was really cool too. Yeah. Out west, but well, and, and that's one stuff. of those things. You know, reverting to real quick, just kind of a back segue. Uh, if you're not sure how to use a call, GTS. You know, I, 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 my kids keep telling me GTS. Like, what are you talking what about GTS? GTS? Google that shit. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we were Profanity, PG. We were PG right up until the end. Yeah, that's well, right. that's Google, right. okay. I'm sorry. Google that stuff. There GTS. Go. Google that, that stuff. Yep. Or that or bird. look for it on on uh, yeah. YouTube. Yeah, it's the age you know, of there's there is yeah. uh, uh, also there is uh, those targets that we show the kids. Oh yeah, for patterning your shotguns. Uh-huh. Uh, if you go on to websites like the most notable one is uh, mossyoak.com. Yeah, we always just trace our fist and arm. Yeah, that's the same thing. Yeah. But um, Mossy Oak has free downloadable. Oh, cool! Uh, it's not just turkeys; they have squirrel targets and dove yeah. targets and all these other things you can you can download and print off. But they're life size, mm-hmm. so yeah. that gives you an idea of what right. what uh, what range you're looking yeah. at to, and then to shoot. Just uh, if we're staying on the online thing for a second, um, yeah, just going on uh, checking out like NWTF social medias. Um, our YouTube channel is full okay. of instructional videos. Uh, our social medias are always putting out new content, especially we're talking about the great. I'll the, throw some links up too. Yeah, throw some links up, um, and then I want to throw this out there too. So, uh, we're well. One, Rory mentioned we're celebrating our 50th anniversary, 1973 to 2023. Actually, mm-hmm. uh, our actual birthday was last week. Yeah, um, for the actual 50th. That, that's half as cool as what we're doing this year. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, so there's that. Um, yeah, we have the, our. NWTF youth camps coming yep. up. So if you have, uh, and there are over-the-counter youth tags available. Um, so if you don't have a turkey tag yet and you want to bring your kids up, there are there are tags available Wonderful. up there. Go um, to Outdoor Services Network. Outdoor Skills Network. Outdoor yep. Skills. I, 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 I've been putting time. this stuff at the beginning of, yeah. of each podcast yeah. lately yeah. anyway. Well, I sent you the whole list of them like right. a week or two ago. Yep. And uh, busy. Uh, yeah, the last thing I want to throw out there is uh, – if you are already mentoring somebody, even if it's mm-hmm. if it's your kid, NWTF is doing a mentor incentive this year, where you can register until June. I believe you have to be an NWTF member, but if you are do we call it an unregistered event, so pretty much outside of like a Jake's camp. Yeah. If you're just taking out the neighbor's kid, mm-hmm. um, so it's at not through an NWTF event, but you're an NWTF member or become a member, you can go on there. Uh, Submit the details for that hunt. Just uh, who are you? How many to take out, etc. And every time you do that, your name goes in the hat for a new TriStar shotgun. No and kidding. Wow. One of the cool things too is this year to celebrate our 50th anniversary. If you and a buddy want to partner up, they're doing two memberships for fifty dollars. Normally, that's a thirty-five dollar a person mm-hmm. membership. Yeah. So we're going to do a little plug for the NWTF. Awesome. Uh, it's but it's, if you do to the thirty-five, you get a cool you, mouth cool pouch. Yeah, you get mouth a call a pouch. Call oh. pouch. So that you know, and a, a sad fact is, the majority of hunters, the majority of people that hunt turkeys, do not belong to the NWTF, mm-hmm. which is really sad because there is strength in numbers. Yeah. Uh, if we want to get. Or if we want to get people's attention at the national level, we need members. Yeah. It, it's one of those things. If you believe in turkey hunting, you believe in conservation, go to any of our NWTF websites, nwtf.org, uh, Arizona NWTF, any of those places. Find a local chapter. Support them by taking part of their raffles. Uh, go to their fundraising banquets. Uh, or just come have, out and say hi. Yeah, just come and say hi. Come to the youth camps and see what it's like. Mm-hmm. 
uh, you know, there's there's a lot of information out there, uh, and we have youth camps all over the country. I mean, Arizona's is the best in my mind, but there are other states that have them. Uh, they're just not quite as cool as ours. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah just that's a shameless plug for Arizona. Um, it's kind of funny as a state that's doesn't have quite the Arizona doesn't quite the turkey hunting culture uh-huh. that we'll see, in, like, especially in the right, southeast. Right. Um, if you look at the at the national level awards at NWTF, Arizona's always on the list. Man, Arizona's a cool state. Yeah, we well, have so much diversity. We, it's unreal. It. I, I have made the comment. Uh, many times, and I will continue to, that a state that has four or five chapters, right now we're down to four. We're looking to start a chapter in Phoenix if anybody wants to help out. We've also got uh, a chapter in Tucson that's fairly new. Awesome. Uh, so we've got chapters, and you know, we've got four existing chapters, and uh, we have so much passion mm-hmm. on our state board, and it's it's just hard to describe how how much passion, how much uh, work gets done by by such a small group compared to cha- states that have got thirty and forty chapters. Wow! And they're raising millions of dollars. Yeah. And we're the ones who are out there kicking ass and taking names. Right on. You know, Arizona. When they talk about youth camps. Mm-hmm. Jess can vouch for this. He'll he'll go back to an R three convention, and they'll be talking about something, and somebody will ask a question. They'll turn to him and say, "Well, Jess, Arizona's got the best youth camp in the country. What do you think?" And he's actually not lying. I get more questions about so the the youth camps in Arizona actually are award winning on yep. the national level. Um, so yeah, uh, there was one thing I wanted to bring up, and I just already forgot it. Um, old timers disease and you're still old time. Yeah. I'm only There's 30 so many things we could have brought up and we yeah. could have talked about here. Oh, uh, Turkey hunting is a three part episode. Oh, I, <laughs> for sure. Jess and I, you get the two of us together talking yeah. about Turkey hunting or just outdoors and hunting. We, we can sit there and spend four or five hours just talking. It just, it's good to visit with folks and it's good to share the passion that we have. Absolutely. You've man. got, you've got the same passion. So, mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's a lot of fun, and hopefully this – what I'm hoping is that uh, your, ed, your editor and you can convince them that, you know, this is really not enough. We need we need to do at least one or two more oh, of these yeah. and get some other – because yeah. we've got some people on the board that have been hunting turkeys way longer than I have, yeah. and they have forgotten more. There, there are two or three people on our board that we could get in here that you guys could pick their brains. Well, let's do it again and next spring. It, it would be and Hell, there's fall, fall turkey hunting, too, which is kind of a mystery to me that I'd like to dive into a little bit as well. I, I don't hunt fall turkeys. Yeah? No. I don't do it much either, just because there's so much other stuff to do at the I time. I want that point to get but, my ghouls built up. I hear you. I hear you. <laughs> Still make good podcast. It does. Um, well, listen, let me, let me thank you guys, um, and I genuinely, genuinely mean it for for – what you do here, you know, uh, I, I harp on this podcast all the time about the good conservation work that comes out, out of the sporting community. And, you know, I've been saying this a lot lately too, and we talk about threatening and mind you, I love all wildlife, not just the stuff I get to chase and eat. I, I get as excited about salamanders as I do about turkeys as I do about elk. Yeah. Um, but 
the the amount of good conservation work that happens in the sporting community just blows my mind. And when we're talking about threatened and endangered species, we're not talking about the stuff we hunt. And that's because there's there's an army of people out there that have a vested interest in these animals and their habitat. And they're putting the dollars and they're putting the time in to make sure that we keep this stuff in, into the future. Well, I'd, I'd like to make a shameless plug. If you believe in conservation, buy a hunting license, buy a fishing license. Our game and fish departments do not exist off of the public's taxes. Yep. That is a misconception, and it's a very widely held misconception. The money that pays for what we get to enjoy out there is from the Pittman-Robertson Act and the Dingle-Johnson Act. The money comes from them. It, it means buying guns, ammo, fishing equipment, camping equipment, uh, hunting license, fishing license. That is what supports our agencies. And face it, guys and gals, without our game and fish departments across the country, it, 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 we wouldn't have anything. We would not have wildlife. They, they are the ones who keep track of what it takes. I mean, if, if we're starting to over-harvest animals because of weather or whatever, they keep track of that. They're the ones, quit, quit crying in your milk. Because they cut the number of tags, they oh, did it for so science. All that. Yep, yep. There, yep. there is little politics because politics comes into everything. But ultimately, our game and fish agencies are working with science and they're making science-based decisions. Yeah, and if, Leave if them you alone. don't like those decisions that are coming out, sit in on those commission meetings. Exactly. One, it'll give you a voice, and two, you'll know why. You'll know why these decisions are being made, and you'll understand. Yep. Uh, don't listen to your hunting buddies because. <laughs> they're largely not doing it either. Yeah. But yeah, no, we're living in the good old days of wildlife. Um, and it's because of this model of conservation. It yep. works. Um, it is. They don't call it the North American yep. conservation for, for nothing. That's that's what it is. And that's it, it's good enough that other countries are starting to follow it. Sure. Yeah, well, that's an entirely another podcast. Yeah, it is. So I'm going to cut this <laughs> off because we've gone on forever. But yeah, let's count on doing it again next spring. We'll, 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 go, we'll go to the next level on the stuff. Sounds good. All right, gentlemen. Thank you so much. Thank, thank you. you. Well, I, I hope you're as excited to get into the turkey woods as I am. I hope you have a tag in your pocket. Uh, and, you know, I talked about it in the show. There's something about these birds. I don't know what it is, um, but they, they're just, they, 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 turn me, they turn me into a wreck. Um, you know, a, a, a thundering gobble within close proximity just, I, I, I just can't handle it. Um, it's, it's exciting. Uh, and after a long winter, boy, there's, there's not much of a better way to uh to spend your time outdoors so yeah there was a lot in that episode a whole lot and it went here and it went there but uh but i think it was a great show roy and jess those they're a couple passionate and knowledgeable turkey guys and i'm sure you gained a lot of knowledge and i hope i really hope that you put it to great use this spring i would love to see some pictures of birds that you bag uh, and you can send those with any of your questions or show suggestions to podcast at azwildlife.org i would love to hear from you and don't forget the arizona wildlife federation who is 100 years old this year uh, makes this show possible and if you would like to be a supporter it would be greatly appreciated you can do so by going to our website which will be in the show notes and that would that would get you our quarterly publication that I know you will enjoy and also more importantly you will be supporting all of the good work that we do and let me tell you 
We are busy and hard at it all the time, working to educate folks on Arizona's wildlife and wild places. And we are working to protect these things and protect our public lands, protect our access to them. So yeah, please consider supporting us. It would be appreciated. And until next time, thanks for listening. Thank you.